0: Mr. Robot Season 2, Episode 10 is over, but we're just getting started talking about it here on Post Show Recaps. It's the Mr. Robot Podcast here on Post Show Recaps. Hello, everybody. I'm Josh Wiggler. I'm joined here by a guy whose picture I've been seeing on the television screens lately. Not really sure what that's all about, Antonio Mazzaro, but some people seem to be very interested in finding out where you are.
1: It's the Antonio Bolo.
0: It's the Antonio Bolo. Yes.
1: Yeah, be on the lookout, baby. Let's Let's make that happen.
0: Bolo. You only bowl one. I don't know. Uh, anyway. So, solo Bolo. Solo Bolo. Antonio, what's going on? Nothing, man. I thought we were going to talk about Back to the Future 2. No, that's for another podcast for another time. Okay, As in, well, like I... That's happening in the future when you and I jump into the future and do a Back to the Future 2 podcast.
1: All right, we're going to do that. That Let's, right. let's make sure we put a pin in that.
0: That's on the docket for another day, but today let's talk about Mr. robot season two technically the penultimate episode of the season I think I think we're right up to the two part finale even though that's airing across two weeks so here we are we're really in the thick of it right now yeah we're putting a
1: penultimate in it this is great yeah this is uh this is crazy Josh we've been building up to this moment all season long the uh the great climax uh Tyrell is back he's everywhere on the show oh wait no he's not sorry no,
0: No, 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 Listen, again, I think that, you know, we're holding that Tyrell reveal for, like, the very last thing that we're seeing here in season two, which I bet is going to be a very frustrating moment, hopefully an exhilarating moment. Uh, Hopefully he comes in sooner than that, but time's really running out.
1: What if we find out, just like in one of these last two episodes, that Mr. Robot was just telling
0: the truth? (laughs) yeah and whatever sort of like flashback sequence that shows you what tyrell has been up to throughout season two it's just him slowly decomposing in a corner oh that's terrible that's all that martin wallstrom did this year
1: (laughs) hey listen got the main cast credit we're good
0: (laughs) yeah it stays on the resume that's a pretty cushy gig for a year
1: yeah i mean look there are a lot of people that play dead people on tv these days so ain't no thing
0: yeah ain't no thing At all? No. I'm sure that we'll get a little more Tyrell than that. I'd be astonished if that's where we were going. If Tyrell is actually dead and Mr. Robot was telling the truth, I will be blown away by that.
1: It would be, shall we say, a bold move.
0: Yes, a bolo move.
1: Yes, a bolo move.
0: All right, well, let's make a bolo podcast right now. As always, you can subscribe to what we're doing on these Mr. Robot podcasts. Please do postshowrecaps.com slash Robot iTunes. MR Robot iTunes is how you subscribe through iTunes. Leave us your ratings or reviews. Anything you want to do there would be greatly appreciated. Antonio, anything you want to talk about before we start diving in? To the episode before we start talking about all these different hidden processes.
1: No, I just want to give a shout out to everybody who's left us a review on iTunes or who has hit us up on Twitter or done anything they can to support the podcast. It's been a great joy making this with you, Josh, this season and talking about the show because, listen... I haven't
0: been so proud to make something with you since we made Mobley.
1: Sunil Sue Sunil, Markesh, Josh? I mean, my mom's name is Sue. Is your mom's name Neil?
0: No, but we have a friend of the family named Neil and he's a very inappropriate man
1: what's well, a weird tribute then that we chose that name sue neil yeah. uh my mom and your weird friend of the family but that's uh, he fine he
0: was like memorably traumatic he one time <laughs> wore a, a tie that was shaped in a very promiscuous way oh uh, wow where would yeah. he get that yeah uh, we unusual. don't need to go into it in any further detail but...
1: yeah that's really that's really tough uh but yeah that's funny uh but yeah that I, that's all that's all i really want to get out of the way is thanking everybody uh for supporting us for participating in this podcast for listening for your kind words on twitter for your reviews it really it's, uh, it's just a really fun show to talk about and, and I appreciate that everybody's along for the ride
0: it's been really, really fun. I think this week will be no different. Lots to unpack, lots to chew on, as always. This was an episode that really invited uh, a lot of conspiracy theorizing from the audience. You know, every episode really invites it, but this episode actually explicitly invited us, the friend, the audience, along to try and solve this mystery. So that's going to be a fun scene to talk through, everything going on with Tyrell and questioning whether or not he might still be in the mix. Elliot is starting to parrot a lot of the things that you and i were talking about on the podcast last week so elliot is starting to catch up with the viewers as well big moment between elliot and angela and obviously how can we not talk about the huge huge cliffhanger at the end cisco darlene their lives are in the balance dom is still in the mix that final shot which went on for about i don't know like two or three minutes just yeah. so glorious lots of really great material this week I
1: thought. well we you and i also got a specific call out from philip price in oh that, how about that yeah he's saying there's at these two guys out there that he's not more powerful than so right yeah
0: yeah so if you guys wanted to know who the other two most powerful people in every room in the world is you're listening to them right yeah, now
1: obviously duh Day. <laughs> yeah. clearly from everything we've said and done throughout the course of this we are mad
0: powerful mad powerful all right so let's talk about that most powerful man in the world and let's contrast him to the last honest man in the world terry colby immunity beast <sighs> back in action for the first time in season two are you happy to see terry colby this week
1: full tilt he only writes biographies full tilt, josh i love this yeah terry colby great to have him back it's really great to see terry colby putting grudges aside in business that's what you do and he's there talking to Philip Price he's written a book Josh things seem to be he look he can even leave his house no more lojack
0: Yeah, well, I mean, we wondered once upon a time when you and I were driving along Robot Road, uh, you know, our rewatch podcast of season one. And we were wondering, how is Terry Colby out of his apartment? Wasn't that dude under house arrest? How is that guy able to just get around and get about? Obviously, Philip Price is the most powerful man in every room in the world. So if he needs to take off that ankle bracelet, he could just take that thing off.
1: Yeah, sure seems like it. Like Philip Price has probably just helped Terry Colby do whatever he wants. But now Philip Price needs help from Terry Colby.
0: Yeah, needs help from Terry Colby. He needs Terry Colby to work some political connections. It seems like Terry Colby is a breath away from a guy who is a breath away from the president of the United States. And we need to make some moves in the Congo, the return of Amy the Gorilla to (laughs) to Mr. Robot (laughs) season two. What do you think about the fact that we're talking about the Congo again? When was the last time we really heard about this? I mean, it was first mentioned in the Illuminati teaser scene at the end of season two. Season one between White Rose and Philip Price. Did they talk about it again when they had their phone call earlier in the season?
1: I don't remember that. I, I do remember the Philip Price, White Rose kind of obliquely saying, have you talked to him or just saying kind of pronouns that it's not a hundred percent clear who the people in question are. I think we make assumptions that the people are different people than maybe they end up being. So it's possible that this is something that's been obliquely or, or sort of uh, dis- distantly referenced by these two in passing phone conversations. That's entirely possible. I don't know though. We really, the, the Congo, the word itself, it was really only mentioned at the end of the first season, I think, like you're, talking about Uh, and we had the big confrontation last week between philip price uh, and white rose and that confrontation didn't mention the congo either so far as i could tell that seemed to be more about china directly loaning e-corp money and in return e-corp doing ultimately not not getting the government involved with the plant so that did not seem to involve the congo at all and yet this congo piece seems to be part of it
0: Well, I wonder. I mean, last week we had this dynamite scene between Philip Price and White Rose, who is another candidate for maybe being the most powerful person in the room other than Philip Price himself. And they're talking and Price is saying, "Uh, I want China to to bail us out, you know, to lend us the money, to give us the money, uh, maybe at an interest rate of zero, as low as zero. And it was a very big moment for Philip Price puffing up his chest and basically saying, do this or you're screwed. And I would rather tank the... The whole thing than see you win, um, you know who knows what 's happened since that moment? Have conversations continued between Philip Price and White Rose since then is is White Rose on the cusp of doing as Philip Price says as long as you do this thing for me in the Congo, and now price is putting that thing into action to keep his machinations in motion
1: yeah I, that, that seems like what 's going on that price is is putting that in motion to do this he It does seem to be time sensitive he says to Terry Colby. I need you to see our friend Winston Campbell about this issue tonight. He's saying basically like, this is very time sensitive. You need to get on this right away. His action is simply to have the U.S. ambassador abstain on a vote that would allow China for quote unquote human rights purposes to annex the Congo. I think that there are some kind of mines in the Congo that were in play. I don't know if we're all building up to some horrible, maybe they're mining some nuclear material in the Congo and then that's being transferred Into some other form in the Washington Township plan. If they're all connected, or if they're only connected in terms of Philip Price and White Rose have dealings together and it's always a tit-for-tat situation. Yes, I'll do this for you, but you have to do this other thing for me. If you'll recall in that Illuminati scene, they talked about how they had a lot of business, not just business relating to what was happening with E Corp in that moment. And the Congo was on the other business agenda and Philip Price kind of said, I don't care about it. And that's when White Rose could see that Philip Price was upset. So this is part of their ongoing business dealings. They don't just deal with that one place. Plant in New Jersey, the question is: Are all their dealings related, uh, or is this just tit for tat, or what the deal is? And I don't think this scene makes it clear one way or the other. Terry Colby has the same level of curiosity that we do, maybe even more. Even as he's walking at the door, Terry Colby saying, "Like Congo, like what, yeah. what's going on? Like what do you mean Congo? <laughs> the fracking Congo? Yeah, maybe it is fracking. Yeah, maybe literally. they're
0: fracking in the Congo.
1: Yeah, but yeah, he's, he's he's like what? He's as puzzled as anybody should be when you well, imagine." It this way, imagine this guy who used to be your boss, who's like a super powerful creep dude, is like, "Hey, I need you to talk to somebody about um, letting China annex the Congo." You're John like,
0: Lennon, is that what? you?
1: Hey, I need you to talk to somebody about letting China access the Congo. Yeah, I, it would be really weird uh, if your boss said that to you. Like, oh, just a, it's a passing thing. Would you mind? Uh, what and, and and I love how Terry Colby's like, "How does this relate to your overall ambitions?" Like he just uses this big vague word to describe Price's whole life his ambitions.
0: Terry Colby is so great in this scene uh, i I don't think I realized how much I missed this character until this moment when he's just like, the congo the, the freaking Congo I' gotta know is there a pocket of the world you don't have your hand in you know just having Colby back on the show and even the way he was describing what this would look like, the optics of allowing China to bleep the Congo because they already have the tip of their uh, uncle Neil's tie in the middle of the Congo. oh, oh he's an uncle. <laughs> I think, I think I'm confusing out. Uncle Neil and Uncle Larry right now. Uh, but, you know, he's just the way that he he talks and everything, all of his observations. Terry Colby is a classic character within the pantheon of Mr. Robot. So it's fun to see him back here in the mix. And he really does just have this way with, with Philip Price where he, you know, he must have deference to Philip Price. He must know who the more powerful of the two men in the room is. But he's not so afraid of Philip Price that he can't challenge him a little bit. You know, for, for Terry. Terry Colby to say to Philip Price, like, I got to know. What's the deal? What is it that you really, really want Uh, for him to be able? And even when Philip Price responds by saying, do you really want to know? Terry Colby fearlessly continues to charge in. just goes, yeah, I do. I really want to know.
1: Yeah, it's great. I love I love the Terry Colby. And he was nice enough not to ask Philip Price to do anything uh, mouth related. No mouth stuff
0: no no mouth stuff this time yeah that's really yeah. He's, he's he's but his language a is always going to be explicit at best
1: yes exactly he does he tells it like it is and he tells it how it could be but yeah terry colby he actually gives the bs at one point about the humanitarian action uh, they're talking about president obama and look price has already said earlier in the conversation politi- politicians are puppets or politics is for puppets i think he right. says and then he's talking about president obama like he's just nobody like he's somebody who you can talk to another guy this winston campbell like jabroni just talk to this guy and this guy will whisper something to president obama's ear and by you know oh my gosh china has all of africa now so it is very weird climate change comes up here josh this is a very wide-ranging conversation between the two of them brings up trump yeah donald trump comes up terry colby apparently has dirt on trump what do you think that
0: looks like he says that he has such dirt on trump that he could have been on the ticket yeah is that
1: how mike pence got on there
0: (laughs) yeah trump colby that's an interesting uh that's an interesting ticket we don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole or at least i don't uh but no it's you know it's touching on a lot of different topics of course but i think that the most interesting thing that comes out of this scene is hearing philip price talk about his motivations in kind of abstract terms but thunderous you know abstract terms they are very 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 colorful uh the the grandeur of his ambitions it's really something to marvel that he wants to be he says every ever since I started here you know throughout my career i 've always asked myself, am I the most powerful person in the room and the answer has to be yes and ever since then the answer has always been yes. I still ask myself that question the answer is, the, is yes with the exception of one two uh, so he allows for two people to be more powerful than he is he says he wants to leave behind a legacy that hasn 't been matched since God created man. These are very ambitious designs that Philip Price has. Well, and the other thing for a is, mercenary too don't mercenaries just want money and you know just to be left alone and just like to have like quick cash and stuff like that this guy wants to control the entire universe
1: well that's what I'm saying and and it is what's really interesting about that is he's he's talking about like look isn't that what history is all about redrawing lines over and over again and I'm thinking to myself you're the guy with the map of World War one on your wall buddy like yeah history is about redrawing lines but the people who have made that their goal in history are Are crazy people are people like Hitler and Mussolini and Napoleon and people who have decided to be imperialists and push out and redraw those lines. Those are the people that history holds out as like these just legendary militaristic and in many cases crazy figures. And Philip Price wants to be in that pantheon. And then of course the the cherry on the Sunday of his whole speech there is he talks about wanting to leave a legacy the standard of which was set by God when He created Earth and man in His own image. He's basically saying, I want to be like a God. And of course, that's what Tyrell was on about at the end of last season, rambling about being gods and those things like that. And crazy people throughout history have rambled on about wanting to be like God and being motivated by God and wanting to be better or bigger than God. And so it is, it is that level of fanaticism or that level of power hungry madness that Philip Price is just offhandedly spewing in his office. And this is, so this is that, this is who we're talking about. This is, that guy it isn't just a guy who wants to be powerful it's a guy who wants to be placed among history's most notorious people and that's where he sees himself and he's using the same kind of language when he talks about wanting to be in god's image and doing things like that it's that messianic crazy stuff so this is
0: dangerous dangerous man very dangerous man but apparently not the most dangerous man even by philip price's own admission there are two people more powerful than he is who are the two people, Antonio? Well, what Let's do you plant think? the flag.
1: Yeah, White Rose, right? Or Minister Zhang, or however you want to refer to White Rose. That's got to be one, right?
0: I think that's possibly one unless he believes himself to I I would hope that if Philip Price thinks that he's going to be able to win this thing out that he probably feels that he's more powerful than White Rose
1: well he maybe that's the maybe then maybe that's the second one where he's not 100% sure of it maybe that their relationship and the power in their relationship changes over from move to move if it's a chess game uh, Philip Price makes a move then he's in control of the board but then White Rose reacts and then she's in control of the board so maybe White Rose is the maybe but that leaves the open question if white rose is the maybe who is the one or if white rose is the one who is the maybe do you have any other suggestions josh i know you talked to cora about this one of the the writers of mr robot and the the credited writer one of the two credited writers of this episode
0: yeah he just said wait and see oh you'll, that's great you know. yeah we love that <laughs> that was essentially the answer that he had to that a lot more instructive stuff throughout the interview but that was really just like yeah you'll find out apparently um, vladimir
1: putin will be on next episode
0: yes indeed i think with with this line i mean you could certainly say White Rose. White Rose is the most powerful person we've seen Philip Price directly engage with, and we know that there is a huge power struggle between those two that has been mostly a stalemate or a cold war for a while, if not an outright kind of you know cautious working relationship that both of these men seem to be trying to pull ahead of the other right now, both of these people. Um, I think that that's one possibility that White Rose could be who Philip Price is thinking about. Elliot is obviously another candidate. Elliot is our main character. Elliot is the person who engineered the 5-9 hack, has stage two going on or about to begin. Who knows what other stages are coming up? Who knows what Philip Price's awareness of this person is? Is Philip Price looking at Elliot as another one of these most powerful people on the planet? And I also wonder, when he says, one, could he mean Elliot? And when he's saying, two... Could he be meaning Elliot again? Because Elliot is two people in one. And this seems to be a decently open secret among a few people, at least. Angela talks in this episode about the other guy. Darlene knows about the other guy. A few people know about Elliot's other guy. Philip Price might know about Elliot's other guy. Might know that there is some other force inside of Elliot. Could be referring to Elliot and Mr. Robot as the two most powerful people in the world other than him.
1: Yeah, and speaking of other other, then the question becomes: Does Philip Price know that Minister Zhang, the person that he interacts with in Rain Clouded Gardens, is that? The, does Philip Price know
0: that that person is also White Rose, right? Uh,
1: the leader of the Dark Army, and that is an that would be question. another
0: that would be another twosome. You that know, would be that another would be twosome, right? Minister the... Zhang and White Rose are the you know, and that could be like why he's laughing to himself when he says two, because there's really two sides of that character,
1: right? And does he know both? And that is. That's, I don't think we have confirmation on that one way or the other. When they're talking on the phone earlier in the season, White Rose is going full White Rose and sitting in front of the mirror, and putting makeup on and everything. But of course, Philip Price doesn't see her in that moment. And the times when we've seen them face to face, White Rose is presenting as male. And so that is something where maybe Philip Price only knows about Minister Zhang and doesn't know about White Rose. Or then again, maybe it is. Maybe that's the maybe. Maybe what Philip Price does know about both, and that's why it's a one or two kind of thing. I think that Elliot being there is obviously the most interesting possibility. Uh, The reason being we've speculated a lot on what Elliot's involvement with the Dark Army was. Was Elliot the master? Was Elliot the slave? Was he exploited? Or did he do the exploiting? Is he more powerful than we as an audience know? I think a lot of what went on this season in the first, let's say, seven episodes with the prison story showed us that there's a lot going on in Elliot's life and there's a possibility of that without us as an audience knowing whether it's because Elliot directly lies to us or whether it's a situation like we see at the end of season one where Elliot is missing three days and we as an audience don't know what happened then either there is a strong possibility that Elliot is a lot stronger and a lot more influential than what's going on obviously the stuff that was talked about last week with stage two is a huge part of that that Elliot came up with stage two when did he do that under what auspices what do the people who are reporting or working on stage to think of Elliot he's referred to as a master by somebody with the dark army was that white rose was it somebody else Uh, there is a lot going on with Elliot that we as an uh, audience don't know about and the possibility that Philip Price does know and sees Elliot as somebody that is even more powerful than he is fascinating to me
0: yeah very fascinating definitely an open possibility right now I think that that would be great I also think when you think about this great chess match that's being played Between White Rose and Philip Price, wouldn't it be wouldn't be wouldn't it be great if Philip Price is talking about the one slash two most powerful people in the room, other than himself, as the piece that he is trying to move on the board, the piece that White Rose has also used on occasion, and that being Elliot, being you know this really incredible gray chess piece on the board that both sides are trying to go after. I like that idea a lot. I think that that's a really cool idea. I think that it's definitely in the air. I think it's definitely in the on the table that price has not only is not only aware of elliot may have maybe even met elliot at this point and we don't know that if that happened during those three missing days or earlier so there's a lot going on there i think that that you know that's not just a casual with the exception of one okay too you know like that's not just a casual throwaway that's somebody we know i think it's elliot i think that's really cool
1: yeah, and and if it is Elliot, like like we're saying, it's just going to be fascinating to see how all that plays out because we are I think teasing at the edges of that right now with everything I'm talking about with Stage 2 being his plan, with Elliot missing time, with the possibility that Elliot was the master and not the slave, that he was the exploiter and not the exploited, that White Rose maybe looks at Elliot like a very powerful figure, maybe Elliot's the leader of the dark army, Josh, like there are these possibilities out there that are fascinating i mean think about it this way if elliot's as powerful as philip price may be suggesting here if elliot is the one who's behind all of this even things in season one are going to be very different when we look back at them in hindsight when elliot for example goes to meet with white rose the first time seemingly ostensibly they've ever met and white rose gives him the three minutes treatment and elliot loses every aspect of that conversation and walks out the door very confused the next day that place has been burned down what if it's elliot that burned it to the ground.
0: No, man.
1: We always assumed it was the Dark Army covering their tracks, but what if that's an Elliot thing? Like, what if there are other things like that, even throughout season one, where once you realize that Elliot is with the Dark Army and really is a super powerful person, that we're going to look at a lot differently. And I think that's the that's the strength of a show where a lot of people look at Mr. Robot, I think, not a lot of people, but some people look at Mr. Robot and say, oh, well, there was a Fight Club twist in season one, and is it really that different from Fight Club? And I think when you talk about the TV show having the capability to go hours and hours past the ideas and and story from Fight Club. This is where you end up. When you you have an unreliable narrator with delusions of uh, grandeur about what they can do to change the world, how can that manifest? It isn't just the the Mr. Robot of it all, the Fight Club twist. It can also manifest in other crazy ways. And where that ends, nobody knows. I mean, that's what leads to the speculation about Elliott or about Angela and Elliot being the same person or about all these other people possibly being manifestations of Elliot's personality. It all comes from the fact that you have this character with this unusual problem. And it's great to think about how that unusual problem could also have led him into a position of power that we just don't know about yet.
0: Yeah. All right. So more to come on all of that, but that's a great segue into talking about elliot in this episode before we get to elliot we see the other side of joanna welk getting ready to confront confront quote unquote ollie on uh,
1: the other side
0: huh yes indeed so we we are seeing <laughs> Joanna. So the, the back side I think the back saying. side what getting, do you think of that title card i liked the title card not my favorite title card reveal
1: yeah, it's apparently, and I don't know this, I've seen it on Reddit, and I apologize, it's, I've seen several users talking about it, it's, uh, it's, it's very similar to an Austrian film, I think, from the late 90s, a thriller, uh, where there's a family riding in a car, and there's classical music playing, and then uh, they're playing with the radio, and all of a sudden, this sort of screaming metal music comes on, uh, and that's the beginning of the movie, so I think it's a tribute to that, I'm sorry, I don't have any deeper, I haven't seen that film, I don't have any deeper references to pull there, but uh, I think this was an homage to something for sure.
0: Yeah, I just I think when you're when you're looking at the pantheon of great Mister Robot title reveals, this one just probably will not be one of the ones that I remember right away. Like if we were to do the very very good idea for an off season oh, podcast, man, I'm loving it already of ranking the opens, you know, rank ranking the title reveals on Mister Robot, I would expect this would be toward the bottom. Which is still saying, you know, most of the title reveals are pretty great on this show. This one just doesn't really stand out to me. Seems like if you are uh, if you're a fan of that German movie, this will really really hit home for you otherwise it's just kind of you know it's a moment it was a great opening scene just not the, the best Mr. Robot title reveal I don't
1: think. well in that the scene with Joanna Wellick like you say we see the other side of her uh, getting you know getting ready to go say hello Ollie and we do say we do see that we see it she's getting dressed we see really cool I think it's always really brave for an actor or actress to be filmed in that extreme of a close up like literally every pore is visible on her face as she's put on this bright red lipstick, uh, and we see her putting on these earrings. We'll find out a lot more about those earrings pretty shortly. But I, I think, this and is I mean, those really earrings cool.
0: contextualize everything else that she's putting on. Uh, yeah tell me more because it's the it's the least expensive thing she owns right so every every single thing that she is putting on is more expensive than those earrings
1: yes including the lipstick so yes. yeah this is this is great she's talking to is it mr sutherland is that the muscle her or mr x is that what's his name
0: yeah my man keefer that's uh yeah his the name keef. is mr, S- mr. Chief, sutherland the chief, keef. Keef. chief chief keef
1: yeah uh so mr sutherland doesn't want to meet with elliot he's kind of against it uh she's uh, joanna is saying well it's your fault buddy like if you'd done the thing you were supposed to do this wouldn't be happening so I think Mr. Sutherland just needs to clamp it up man
0: well he needs to find a buddy that he can confide in you know he's got a lot on his mind he's got a lot of thoughts he really wants to talk through with someone and joanna's really just not engaging him in that way so he's really looking for a friend i think this is going to be a great episode for chief keith
1: yeah chief keith finds a friend in elliot but elliot immediately tunes him out so what kind of friend is he really
0: uh you know he was that's basically how he was with leon and that was okay so it's not like the worst start it, yeah. could, it, it could blossom into a <laughs> romance
1: chief keith may well just say hey listen i really appreciate it that you just didn't say anything and you let me talk i really like it when people hear me out and elliot's like yeah sure man whatever
0: so i think you know if we're looking for instructive things in this side of the scene with joanna i think that it you know it certainly carries through in the coming scene with joanna confronting elliot directly but she called Elliot Ollie at the end of last week's episode. She calls him Ollie again here in this episode. Sutherland and Joanna are debating whether or not to bring Elliot in. Joanna feels like they need to at this point. We've wondered how much does Joanna know about Elliot? The indication to me from this scene is she actually doesn't know that much.
1: Yeah, I I got that read as well. And this is tough because we've speculated a lot about whether Joanna Wellick is involved with the Dark Army, if she has a greater purpose. It seems from this scene that she thought that Elliot and Tyrell were working together. Tyrell went missing. She thought that she needed to protect that Part of whatever was left of Tyrell And she read Elliot or Ollie As something like that She knows he's a guy who can handle computers She wants to protect him for That reason because she wants to use him to help Track down Tyrell That seems to be what's going on With with Joanna Wellick it doesn't seem At least from this scene to be Something deeper I do wonder If just the mere like I know this Guy worked with my husband is enough To make Joanna literally kill someone Right Uh, not literally but have someone killed. Literally. I don't know. I, that seems a bit of a stretch to me. And I I would think that if it's just that Joanna knows that Elliot and Tyrell work together and wants to talk to or see Elliot help Elliot because he and Tyrell work together at some point, I, I don't think that's enough. I feel like there must be something else there. I don't know. Is that your read on this? Or are you okay with this being the the truth? That Joanna is just grasping at straws for anything connected to Tyrell. Uh, and, and and Elliot is something like that. So she's actually had someone killed in pursuance of that.
0: Well, I mean, Tyrell has talked to Joanna about Elliot before. Uh, we saw that in season one. We talked about, uh, you know, it was one of Tyrell's final scenes of season one, I think, is when he basically says, like, I saw this man. Like, I saw this guy, like this, you know, this humble hacker or whatever it is he said. It's, you know, it's not fresh in my memory right off, off the top of my head. But she has heard about him, and Tyrell has talked about him before. So that could be easily, you know, the first clue for her to put Elliot on her radar. Or maybe Tyrell and Joanna's relationship of talking things through and their mutual attempt to climb the ladder of power involved open intel about Who are the players on the board? Who is somebody that we can work with? And Elliot could have been involved or included in that roster, in that Rolodex of people that Tyrell has been working, that maybe Joanna will need to work as well. So I think that there's definitely information that Joanna could have from Tyrell that we don't know yet. But I think that in terms of her her intimate knowledge of Elliot it seems pretty thin and i think that that was something we were wondering you know when she's speaking danish to Elliot in the season one finale do they have history together it doesn't seem like they have personal history together
1: does this scene in that in that realm does this scene fully kill tyrell elliott um i mean in I, your I, mind it was already, it was already yeah dead. so you
0: have to answer that because it's already dead for me i mean are we killing the zombie now is that what's going on aim for the head if so
1: <laughs> uh, maybe you can just use a bat i don't know yeah. but yeah I, I this it seems like this and joanna wellick in general that i think that i think have fueled a lot of what is going on with Elliott as a theory and i i don't see how if you really are all about Elliott that you read this scene that way you have to you have to go out of your way to say Okay, she knows that that Elliot that Tyrell is there somewhere, and she her her goal in this scene is to be surface level and try to draw Tyrell out. And the only reason I ask this, Josh, is there is some really weird stuff that's going on with Mister Robot in this episode, in part related to Tyrell that we're definitely going to get into. I don't think that what's going on with Mister Robot is related to Tyrell. Elliot, I think it's more related to the ultimate truth about Tyrell that Mister Robot knows that Elliot doesn't, but. I I think that people draw that through line and say, look, uh, if Elliott is real, the fact that Mr. Robot is kind of out on this whole thing is part of that. But I think these scenes with Joanna don't really help that. The other thing I will say, though, is... I don't understand. I really don't really understand what's going on with Joanna because where in this I really want to find my husband. Uh, he these great stories about Tyrell giving her gifts, bringing her back things, uh, being the kind of guy that she can count on, who has a plan that she is really putting stock in, such that she has to track him down. Where in all that is her weird relationship with the the bro, the the DJ bro or whatever, the guy who who has these. great dreams about going to Europe that Joanna says buddy you're never going to Europe like where in in her plan or or love for Tyrell that seems to be emerging in these scenes where does that leave that guy like what is that in this whole plan
0: well okay so a couple of things so for that let's take that first you know who, who knows I think if you're if you're taking her at face value at least um, Stephanie Cornelius in, in my interview with her several weeks back was basically saying that she's like that Joanna Welk is like a fox uh, she likes to Burrow all these different possible exits and will use the one that she needs to use when the time comes. So maybe that's just a backdoor that she is continuing to, to leave open. Uh, that she is, you know, maybe looking for the possibility that she is going to have to exit this situation with the guy that she has actual emotional feelings for. With her, her backdoor, bro. Right. But it's also still exploring the possibility that Tyrell is out there and her, her power quest will be able to resume in some capacity. So I don't think that the two things things are necessarily mutually exclusive. Then I will also just quickly weigh in on the Tyrelliot thing. Maybe if you want to look at the scene as Joanna is trying to draw out Tyrell from Elliot, if that is what she is after, I haven't looked at it that way because I'm so shut off to the possibility of Tyrell that I haven't viewed that scene in that light. You tell me if that's something that works. I think what wouldn't work is why now is Sutherland accompanying Elliot to hack the location of the phone and find Tyrell? Like, why are they looking for that specific individual if that is not an external individual other than Elliot? Yeah. So, you know, a million percent out on Tyrell
1: well and a million percent the the whole scene the way it plays out is odd first of all it's a little rattling or dis uh, disconcerting not disconcerting but it's just a little you get rattled by the scene because there's a white noise or or distortion machine playing as soon as they come in that's i guess ostensibly there in case the place is bugged there's a there's a low-lying audio track going on in the background distorting the noise in case anyone is listening to what they're saying but that Already makes the scene feel weird as it is. Then you have the added aspect of Joanna Wellick doing her uh, Joanna Wellick things, where Elliot feels like she's reading his mind. She's just sitting there quietly, and Elliot's voice always like, "Why isn't she saying anything?" I feel like she can hear us, and even Mister Robot weighs in. I feel like she can see me. So like, it's already very disconcerting. Like I was saying, with the distorted noise, and it's just uh, you just feel very disoriented by what's happening in this scene. And And then Joanna tells this crazy story about how when she and Tyrell were were first kind of together, she pointed to some stunning redhead and said, I want her cubic zirconium earrings. I want you to have sex with her and get them for me. And Tyrell did that. And that's how she knows he's still alive, because he's giving her gifts, and and he's always done that. As they're carrying out a plan, and he's doing what's necessary, he will give me gifts at the end. And that's how she's saying that she knows he's alive. This seems to be a weird ritual between the two of them. It's a ritual that we've seen playing out this season, when she receives the rattle, she receives the smartphone, she receives the music box. Like, we've seen these gifts, as she receives the ultrasound. Like, all these little gifts are popping up, so she's assuming, Like this has to be Tyrell. This is his MO and all of that. But what about the redhead Josh? Like, is this stunning redhead? Some people are speculating DDP. Like are there, is there
0: more than one redhead in the world? Josh, I don't know. Did he, did he, are we going to link DDP to everybody? Is DDP at the, at the heart of every single character web here? FDDP. FDDP. No, I don't think so. I don't, I feel like it's got to be a different person.
1: I think so too. But I, I, look, it's a show where when they mention a stunning redhead, we have a stunning redhead on the show. Sure. You know, so I don't know, but that whole story is so odd and Mr. Robot's not buying it. Mr. Robot says she's blood simple. She's the wife of the psycho who chokes people. She's definitely going to kill you too. Uh, and we know all that to be true. But it's yeah, I just... think
0: that's important to remember that even if Joanna is tightly tied into what's going on here, if she doesn't have secret knowledge of all of the things that are going on, it doesn't mean that she's not a remarkably dangerous person uh, and a remarkably chilling person. Those things still exist about her, even if she isn't completely at the heart of this conspiracy.
1: Yeah, even if she's not, she's still got this thing going on.
0: and the, the... Like the, this idea that like she can see through you is very legit you know these are very legit concerns and feelings of anxiety that elliot and mr robot are expressing right now
1: do you think she's very good at the larry david at the human lie detector at the side (laughs) like yeah she's basically saying like yeah Uh, well okay 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 yeah Yeah, she's just kind of looking them up (laughs) and
0: down Bah, 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 bah. yeah
1: so that's happening that's what she's doing she says when elliot says i don't know where he is joanna says oh you're being honest this time and i guess that is honest like but maybe not because maybe elliot prime doesn't know where he is but mr robot probably does and mr robot is in elliot so deep down somewhere in elliot he does probably know where tyrell is uh maybe he does maybe he doesn't but but joanna says oh you're you're you know you're being honest this time which means i think the implication that he was being honest last time and she knew it and that's true and she says like you you know he's not going to be fat elliot says i can't help you and joanna says now you're lying so she's doing a pretty good job as a lie detector i feel like
0: yeah i think so she's getting she's certainly you know driving the business home for elliot who is going to now be invested in is tyrell alive like she's very convincing should i at least explore this possibility and that's going to be where mr robot is really being like man, these people are lunatics. Let's just go home. Let's just go to bed. Let's just take a nap. Let's not deal with these people. Why are we even bothering? And, you know, read a certain way, especially because Mr. Robot's going to disappear a few scenes from now, that's very easily read as Mr. Robot internally being like, this is not good, this is not good. We're too close to Joanna Wellick and all my secrets are about to come out.
1: Yeah, uh, that seems to be what's happening. And that is the Mr. Robot disappearing. It's just so weird to me because... I really I mean, as much as we've talked about the show and as much as I've watched and rewatched the show, I don't have the best read on Joanna Wellick. Maybe the Fox story is the right story because she's given birth to that baby in season one. And when she and Tyrell are in the hospital, she basically tells Tyrell, I don't want to be married to you anymore. Like, I had a baby before, you know, tell this long story. But at the gist of that whole story is, I don't I don't want to be married to you anymore. You're screwing up. You're not what I thought you were. Like, I'm done. We've seen her file the very divorce papers related to the not wanting to be married anymore. But we've seen that as somewhat of a ploy to keep the, the, the dude bro DJ on the hook. And the question is why, and if that's just a foxhole out, maybe that's it. But I think there's been a lot of speculation about, is she setting that guy up as a possible Patsy for the murder of Sharon Knowles and as we've talked about even if that's the case Tyrell is still very much on the hook for the 5-9 hack and I don't see how he, you get Tyrell out of that I do how could go please tell me more yeah
0: I mean I think that you well first off you raised a great idea of like are we going to frame the Sharon Knowles thing on on this guy on the Bois on her you know on her on her substitute her surrogate Tyrell is that a move that's about to be made And if Tyrell is, like, in haggard condition right now, we have no idea what physical condition Tyrell is in. If he is, like, deep, deep into, like, uh, Howard Hughes, Aviator Leonardo (laughs) DiCaprio, full beard, bring in the milk mode, if that's where we are with Tyrell and they can drag him out and be like, he's been held captive by... I don't know. Maybe Scott Knowles. I'm sure you and I are going to talk about that as a possibility later on in this podcast. Or somebody could they be like, yeah, he's been, you know, he's been hijacked. He's been, he was threatened. He did all this, all this. Is there some sort of trapdoor for Tyrell as well that he could get out of this thing? I don't think that it's impossible that Tyrell could walk away from this.
1: Yeah, maybe. Uh, He seems to be public enemy number one. We heard Grace Gummer saying, "All we need is a name." We've heard Tyrell Wellick's name being mentioned as the number one guy that they're looking for.
0: 100%. But if they can reveal him at some stage where it's like, oh, my God, this guy has been like he, he was kidnapped and all of these things that we were believing about Tyrell Wellick are not true. You know, is there some sort of way to reverse that?
1: And, and maybe that has always been Elliot's plan. Maybe that's what the plan was in the three days. Like, look, you're going to go into hiding. You're going to emerge and we're going to make it seem like you were forced to do this thing. And that's going to be your way out of it. I, I It's just so hard to really put a put a, a pin around or, or put a bow around it any of that because we really just don't know where Elliot's head was and we don't know if Elliot was was positively motivated or negatively motivated we don't know how, to what extent Mr. Robot was in control or Or was it something else? Uh, Mr. Robot being in control could mean some really dark things, and so I, I I don't really know. I think it's interesting that Elliot pulls the hood up like he's want to do when he doesn't want to participate in society, and he tries to leave the apartment, and Mr. Sutherland stops him, and then Joanna walks up, pulls the hood down, pulls him close, and whispers in his ear, much like we saw Darlene doing when he leaves jail. Except in this case, we hear what the whisper is, and it's Joanna basically saying, "Do you really?" want to say no to me and i
0: certainly wouldn't after that whisper no no never say no to joanna wellick yeah that's just not a word that
1: should be in your in your lexicon if you're if you're talking to joanna wellick
0: no no is off unless that's your safe word and you should probably have a better safe word yeah something
1: like fidelio or pineapples you know (laughs) you don't want it to be no yeah, that exactly. Work. No, she's. Believe listen- me, that doesn't work. Is a safe
0: word. She is. She is a very enigmatic character. You know, there's a ton of mystery around Joanna, and I think you know just because of the way that she comes off. You know, the the aura of Joanna Wellick is so. I don't know. It's so captivating. It's commanding. She's very magnetic. You are drawn to her. You want to know more. And I think that that encourages you to look at her as a big player in whatever potential conspiracies are going on. But it's possible that it might be as straightforward as she's just a very, very dangerous person who's in the mix of this very dangerous situation but isn't a driving force or even necessarily in the vehicle of the people that are driving this dangerous situation along. But she's still somebody that you don't want coming after your car. Uh, that's kind of how I'm reading Joanna right now, but it might be more. Who knows? I think just for, for the sake of this episode, she's clearly here to get Elliot back on the hunt of feeling suspicious about Tyrell and maybe being suspicious of himself again. He's just come to terms with the fact that he probably killed Tyrell. I think that he, had, he came to believe it. I mean, he said in last week's episode, why is the wife of the person I murdered sitting outside of my apartment? So he believes himself to have killed Tyrell. That was not an easy thing for him to come to grips with. He's come to grips with it. It's some sort of truce between him and Mr. Robot. And now he's at a place where he, like us, is wondering, is that BS? Is that just a line? Is Mr. Robot shining neon? Um, and I think it's great to get him into that place so that he's in the same place as the audience. Nice to have these two people on the same page. And Joanne is really the person that puts him on that path. And subsequent actions will take him further along.
1: Yeah. And we'll just have to weigh in on those scenes as they occur, as these scenes these- subsequent things uh, further along the past happen. But a path happened, but I I think that the the really interesting uptake or uh, the the what I took away from this scene, and I think what plays out later is how Mr. Robot really really rebelled or pushed back against what was happening, and his blood simple reference and his saying you don't want to work with this lady. We always look at Mr. Robot's motivations, Josh, and I think I read this one pretty clearly as Mr. Robot is not trying to keep Elliot safe. Mr. Robot is trying to keep Mr. Robot safe.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean they're the. Same thing, but fundamentally yes yeah right. I, th- I think to that the, the extent th- mr robot
1: has a separate agenda from elliot prime's yes. agenda mr robot realizes that joanna wellick may well be a threat to that and probably not just because she might kill him probably because when you go down that that path as you're saying and it does lead to other things mr robot just pieces out so it's that kind of thing where man i don't want elliot on this path i'm gonna say this lady will kill you but my real reason for not wanting him on this path is i don't want to be found out with the secret that i'm keeping from elliot
0: 100 that's that's absolutely where my head is at. i wonder if there's other possible explanations for it we will explore all of that but that certainly seems to be where mr robot is coming from which makes reading those scenes really great because he is so casual and he's so nonchalant about it with elliot where he's just like Man, she's so crazy, right, Elliot? Like, we should just, like, not pay attention to any of this. Yeah, it's and not cool, just... <laughs> is I didn't even like it anyway. And you just know inside, she's just like, ah, yeah. this is terrible. Oh, this is so bad for me.
1: Yeah, and I guess the only other way to read it is the surface reading, which is that Mr. Robot is worried about Elliot getting killed. And Mr. Robot would be worried about that because he cares for Elliot, but he would also be worried about it because killing Elliot means killing Mr. Robot. Right. So even if it's just self-preservation on that level, right. that's one read. But I think it's more self-preservation. Preservation of the Hidden Agenda, trying to keep it cool in Elliot's face, but freaking out internally.
0: All right. Well, we'll get back into Elliot and Mister Robot very shortly. Let's turn to Darlene and Cisco. We get the answer to who was knocking on the door at the end of last week's episode for Darlene. Not the cops, not the authorities. It's Cisco, and he's got not our son. Thankfully, our son still MIA, which means there's hope for Mobley. It's Vincent, who's one of the guys who was put in charge of the DC op, dropping the balls uh, that Two happened. In Congress. <laughs> yes, back of a few episodes <laughs> earlier, this is one of the guys involved. In that. We're going to find out uh, a little while from now that a bunch of these guys got busted. He's the only one that got away. So that's where he's getting all these horrible injuries from. Seems like lots of internal bleeding going on. And Darlene kind of just wants to yada yada to the next stage of what's going on with this guy. Really doesn't want to wait around for him to die. Really kind of wants to just do it herself.
1: Yeah, once you've opened that door, I mean look what happened. She executed Madame Executioner and now she's like, this person needs to die for the cause as well. They knew what they were getting into. This is ridiculous. I'm not going to put my neck out to try to save him. And this upsets Cisco very much, Josh, because I think Cisco could, This, keep in mind, is a guy that Darlene hit in the head with a baseball bat, possibly thinking very much the same thing. Like, I don't really care if you live or die. It's not my problem at this point. You're putting yourself in jeopardy by being involved. And we have Vincent here just dying out and Cisco demanding that they take him to the hospital and shouting to get through with, uh, to get through to. Darlene, probably the most, uh, probably the best Cisco scene ever.
0: This is the best Cisco episode ever, well, yeah, uh, fitting uh, it's that it's probably his last. Right. Uh, you know, I think you know in this kind of final hour of Cisco, assuming that Cisco is going to not be alive next week, I feel like that's a decently good assumption. Uh, I think that they do a good job; the, the show does a great job of showing this other side of Cisco, of somebody who you know is Dark Army. We know how deadly the Dark Army is; has been involved in some very dangerous operations himself. But we've questioned how much does Cisco care about the F Society people? He tried to protect Mobley and Trenton and Darlene, you know, when he got his fingers uh, horribly damaged for it. Um, and <laughs> Very here, badly burned. He, he's the guy that went back to go find the tape so that Darlene would not get found out, and he found this injured man and brought him with him all the way back to his own apartment. He's the guy standing here now and saying, Darlene, it's a bridge too far. He's the guy who forgave Darlene for hitting him in the face with a baseball bat. Cisco Cisco's got a bigger heart than I think that we gave him credit for. Certainly, he's been involved in bad stuff, and you know, Angela's in a, a lot of the mess that she's in right now because of Cisco and Ollie and all of that, and that's not fantastic. But Cisco's moral compass, at least here, is pointing north and saying, like, do not kill this man. You cannot justify killing this man. And I think, more than anything else, I think it speaks obviously to how much that Cisco truly does care about Darlene and doesn't want to see her go further and further off the ledge. Uh, I think that he feels that this is an act you won't be able to come back from and I think that it's showing just how much Cisco has put his neck on the line to save Darlene time and time again and just how invested he is in that because he's so invested in her
1: well it's interesting because when you talk about this being a manifestation of uh, or his words being representative of how much he cares about her he says some kind of shitty stuff to her he tells her sometimes
0: you say shitty stuff to the people you love when they're doing a terrible thing
1: right but I guess maybe not in the not not by means of expressing your love for them he tells her you're not a leader you're not special you're fumbling your way into freak accidents like he is basically saying all those things that you think about yourself are not true like you're not those things and the things that he's saying she's not are good things he's not saying darlene don't let this person die. You're not a monster. He's not saying that he's saying you're not a leader. You're, 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 you're not special. He's very horrible things to say to try to get her off the ledge. So I understand what you're saying and I agree with it, but he's also bringing a little bit of the darkness into this and really pushing some buttons with her such. He gets a fascinating story from her uh, out of her regarding her specialness or her being a leader or her life choices later in the episode. So he's not just, just saying like you're not a monster you can't do this he's saying you're not a leader you're not special and you don't know what you're doing with this hack and as a result you're just letting people die like get it get a grip darling. like that yeah yeah
0: yeah I, I, and i think to me that reads as somebody who is so desperate to get this person that he cares about so much away from this situation and it's you know this really ugly kind of final measure, you know, this is sort of like the nuclear option of really calling the situation as you see it, even if it's not something that's nice or pleasant to say, even if it's going to make the person you deeply care about really upset or really angry. And I don't know if it's necessarily the most productive way of going about creating a, a counter argument. It clearly works in this case where Darlene is finally able to once she hears those words out loud, probably can't escape the truth that like, yeah, you're probably right. About all of that. Um, So I think for me, it's not necessarily that Cisco is, uh, I I don't know, I think for Cisco in this moment, he is saying something that he himself can't contain anymore, can't control anymore. And it's not coming out of a place of hate or disrespect. I think it's coming out of a place of deep love and feeling incredibly alarmed increasingly alarmed to the point where we are now at the you know where our finger is on the red button right now do not push it uh i feel like that's the moment that he is at with our Dar- darlene in this moment
1: yeah and he, you're right it all speaks to his boot episode like this is probably <laughs> yeah. this is a good edit for cisco he's really yeah. getting some human moments in his boot episode so that's good and you're right it does work like she ultimately does what he's thinking. It It's it's funny because it almost is mirroring the conversation that Cisco and Darlene had with Elliot, where it was Mister Robot talking to them, and they were getting very angry, and there was a lot of calm down. You need to calm down, coming from Mister Robot, and then when they eventually broke through, Cisco did calm down and said, "Yeah, I can help you get in contact with the Dark Army," but he was very upset then and not able to communicate his agenda fully when Elliot was in the room. When Elliot, even as Mister Robot was in the room, Elliot was in control of that situation got cisco to give him the dark army contact controlled that here cisco is i think much more in control without elliot around and does have the ability to break through to darlene in a way that is meaningful and that gets cisco's agenda up there i'll note that what cisco does ultimately puts some events in motion that gets cisco probably killed so it isn't the best motivation maybe darlene was right to just let the guy die
0: yeah, well, it depends, you know, it depends on your outlook. Like if it, for pure preservation, 100%. I like, oh, no. know. But also
1: but getting away from the apartment is what made made them not be in the apartment when the feds showed up. So, they're in a bad spot right now. Darlene says it. Like I'm tired. Or Angela says it. I'm tired. I think they all are feeling that the walls closing in really around them, looking over their shoulders constantly, changing cabs. And Cisco create, he, he does commit a, a grave sin in terms of not getting back to his place the normal way. He was so worried about this guy's life, he put him in a cab and they just drove right back in a cab. And that is ultimately what leads the feds to his apartment. So Cisco's not thinking clearly in the moment because he's so worried about what's going on. And it may actually be Darlene who is right to think clearly when it comes to self-preservation.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's still like, you know, thinking right in this situation for self-preservation is crossing, you know, a moral line that Darlene's not going to be able to uncross. And that's where Cisco's coming at it from. But I think that that's really authentic to Cisco so far, who has, even though he's in position with the Dark Army and is part of these dangerous forces that are in play, he's not the brightest bulb of the bunch. He never has been. I mean, yeah, he could speak fluent Chinese and that's awesome. And he was really great at manipulating Ali, but that's not exactly the most intellectual, target, you know, the most intellectually difficult bomb to dismantle. Um, so I think for, for Cisco, this is really in character, and I think for Darlene, this is an emotional breaking point, and she's going to be vulnerable enough to tell the story that she tells at the hospital, that probably, you're right, is coming at the exact wrong time in terms of her wanting to stay in the game, and beyond staying in the game, stay alive. Uh, so it's unfortunate timing, but it's also probably, in a way, it's a good thing that Darlene is able to actually feel the right things right now very complicated stuff as it always is on mr
1: robot yeah and it, cisco of nothing else has always been lubricant he's always moved the plot along when he shows up uh he really he really advances the story because he's been the dark army contact he's been the guy who can get them in touch with these things so he's always been narratively a very interesting and relevant character like i said he's been the lubricant for the story we should call him Crisco uh because <laughs> he's so he's so oiled up but yeah he. Yeah. Uh, R.I.P. Crisco. R.I.P. Crisco. Uh, you, you know, lard. Uh, but, but yeah, he uh, he has always been that kind of guy, and always been a little seedy in that respect. So I do think seeing this real humanity emerge from him in in terms of the fact that he didn't think he just grabbed the guy, put him in a cab, drove him back, and he immediately wants to get him to a hospital, even though this isn't one of his guys, and even though Darlene, whose guy it is, is willing to let the guy go. Cisco's humanity is emerging here, and maybe it's maybe he feels the need to atone for a lot. I mean, the five, nine hack went down. It hasn't really been good for anybody involved yeah. with F society. It certainly hasn't been good for, for Crisco. Now the, uh, or Cisco, the, uh, the library stayed open, so he didn't lose his job, but like, it's been a bad deal for everybody involved. We've heard Mobley talk about it. We've heard Trenton talk about it. We've seen other characters say this was a mistake or whatever. And uh, Cisco has always had a, a secondary agenda because he's part of the dark army, but it's nice to see his humanity emerging for sure. It's a little, that little 11th hour
0: so so you're saying that if Cisco is narrative lubricant and his name should be Crisco, that we should send him over to the Congo and he'll make that whole situation for China a lot smoother.
1: Oh, yeah. Because uh, nothing, nothing soothes Central Africa like Crisco.
0: Yeah, that is that is the move. I, anyway, I, lo- I love the Cisco stuff in this episode. I think it's really good. Uh, we'll talk about him more a little bit. We go to Madame Executioner's apartment, which is now finally being raided. By the FBI they are finally paying attention to this place Dom is gonna come by and this is where we're gonna get the sketch for Cisco that's gonna play such a big part in the rest of this episode yeah
1: uh, and it's look those people had some pretty good memories they, uh, they've got some they've got a really good sketch of Cisco there and DDP is at the smart house and Cisco has been at the smart house this is a lot of what goes on this episode is the FBI being very close on the tail of Cisco and Darlene and so it's not shocking by the end of the episode when she does catch up with them and that leads to such a great scene that I'm hoping we're going to see the back end of we'll talk about that when we get to it but I I think that this this scene is great because we see the feds are, are very close behind. Not only with the sketches, but they're at the smart house. So they wouldn't have found the smart house. It doesn't sound like as a location without Cisco going there to get the tape. Darlene leaving the tape was the thing that kind of set all these things in motion. That sloppiness, and maybe Cisco's right. Then maybe Darlene isn't that great of a leader because leaving the tape there meant Cisco had to go back there. Him going back there meant him dragging the guy out. Him dragging The guy out meant he was spotted by a neighbor and the cab company was on to him. So this is all very, very difficult because it's all as a result of Darlene leaving that tape. So it's really all Darlene's fault in that regard. But the tape is why ultimately that it's a lot harder for the feds to do their job. Because in this scene, DDP shows up. She's red-hot pissed that when we had this place as a location where the guy just was, why did we barge in? Why didn't we sit and watch it from afar and catch the guy? Like, why are we here making it obvious that the feds are looking into this? And the agent that's there basically says, listen, we're really aggressive now because the shit hit the fan over that video. And it's crazy because that video was filmed like 15 or 20 feet away from where she's right.
0: It. Right. The whole like busting up the Berenstain thing.
1: Right. Right. And so that is all really, really cool. The lady also says to DDP we should pool our money together and buy this place. <laughs> Does that play at all into the theories about DDP possibly being interested in women? Was that a little more forward or a little more familiar than you would expect, or you think that was just an offhanded remark?
0: Yeah, I didn't read it that way. Uh, I, I thought that it was just like, look at how awesome this place is. And even if we pulled all of our money together, we wouldn't be able to buy it. It would just be such a sweet place to live. That's really all I took it at. Yeah,
1: and that's probably all it is. Uh, we're just we're going to get some more vagaries from DDP in this episode that we'll talk about uh, that, that may play into theories that are in play with her. Uh, and her previous relationship. So we already talked about her as possible with Tyrell. Tyrell, now we're linking her to this agent. Uh, who knows? But yeah, this is, uh, this is great. I love the subtlety, Josh, of, of the fact that what, what, was, what, was, what, what F Society did with regard to the video has changed the game seemingly for how the FBI is handling situations, and the way that it's changed is actually benefiting the people in F Society. So the video really kind of worked, which speaks to maybe Darlene not being that bad of a leader.
0: No, it was effective. It was definitely effective. I think it's also worth paying attention to the agent here who's talking to DDP is going to say that it's really like the director has been so aggressive now. That's a guy that you and I have been pointing our finger at as a possible moly, 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 mole, mole ever since he was absent from the shooting in China that killed all the federal agents except for DDP. He was not there. He was lucky enough to like still be working on his morning movement or his shower or whatever it was that he was doing that kept him away from that shootout. There's plenty. Any in this episode to keep you feeling suspicious about this guy. This is the first of a few things that happens with DDP's boss that really has my eyebrows raised.
1: Yeah. And the, the question is like of the total hierarchy above DDP, like there's Santiago, her boss, right? And he seems to be directing the code name case. And he's the one who really does seem to be making choices in that realm that are not great. And he himself is hiding behind a lot of the FBI's response just with the whole organization, Uh, whether it's Comey all the way down, their response to what happened when the tape was leaked. And the question remains uh, whether or not Santiago, DDP's boss, is using that as cover because he has a secondary agenda, or is he just kind of a a hapless bureaucrat who is certainly victim to what Darlene played out with the tape uh, by exposing the FBI's practices and is now saying basically like, well, we can't really do anything because of what happened before. So the question is, is he just kind of a hapless guy or is he a guy with a, a much more negative itinerary or or uh, or a negative agenda and i think we don't have full answer on that because there are also things like the femtocell being in play still that device is still planted i don't know to what extent that is giving the dark army backdoor access to the fbi still do they need an agent like someone like santiago as a sleeper agent or as somebody who's undercover for them if they have the femtacel is that giving them all the information they need still? I don't know. I think that's an open question, but I certainly am reading Santiago as shady. And I'm certainly reading that in the aftermath of what Darlene did, shady people could operate and point to that and be like, Nope, we got to do it by the book. Can't do anything crazy now because of we're being watched because of F society leaking that video. So is he doing that or not? I don't know, but I, I agree. There's a lot in this episode. We're going to come right up very quickly on the scene where DDP talks to him directly. Yeah. Yeah, I was just uh, talking that, through. That plays out. So, yeah, she goes to meet with him. She's showing him both sketches of Cisco. One that your boy Ollie made, and one, of course, because Ollie did everything. Ollie just went like chunking Goonies, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> he just told him <laughs> every wor- bad thing. And the worst thing I ever did. Yeah. And they kicked me out. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I like this kid. Yeah, so he just, I, he apparently just told DDP ev- literally everything as soon as he walked in the door, which is not shocking. But they got a great sketch of Cisco from DDP. From Ollie. They also got a new sketch from Cisco out of one of the neighbors of the smart house. And DDP is saying, look, this is a fresh lead on this guy. We need it's the to, same we need to
0: bro, it's the same guy. Right, right. And and she says, And we the director's like, sweet, so how about we just like send a tank after him and say, Can we use this guy? What is your problem? Why are we not just following him? That makes so much more sense.
1: Yeah, he wants to put a be on the lookout. Santiago wants to put a be on the lookout and wants to put that on the news, plaster face uh, and antonio bolo put his face everywhere and uh, ddp i think proficiently and prophetically recognizes that he's going to get killed if you put his face on the news like that's the first thing that's going to happen is the dark army will kill him they have killed themselves as we saw in the previously on when it, it came to their people being involved with law enforcement their people are instructed to kill themselves before being taken in they're definitely going to kill this guy if they think we might get to him him. And Santiago's like, eh, NBD. I don't think it's going to happen. DDP.
0: Yeah, I think he'll be fine.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's going to be all right yeah and he uses again that same sort of phraseology embrace the new direction and and he's, he's talking about how oh we have to go the slow roll that you were playing that we were playing didn't work like we have to go hard and we have to push this and Comey is pushing for it the FBI is ultimate director the director of the code name case Santiago himself pushing for it so it's really all very very complicated for DDP I love the subtle ways that this that this show has made DDP very clearly good at her job.
0: Oh, she's great at her job. DDP maybe MVP of the season. You know, very very possibly. We'll see. You know, once the dust settles on the season, we'll go back. We'll do. I don't know. What's the the roboters or whatever it is. And I think that you'll see DDP is at least a contender for that top spot. She's been great this year. Uh, I mean, obviously it's her debut year and she's just landed with such impact. Great character.
1: Yeah, but it's it's little things like this. It's yes. her saying, "Listen, the Dark Army will kill him if." you put them on the news and then that watching that seemingly play out directly it's her later on in the episode putting together the fact that they're probably nearby
0: that's my favorite part yeah
1: as her boss santiago's standing there dismissing it completely so she is clearly a more capable agent than her boss and she's clearly great at what she does but she also is impetuous and has issues herself uh she's not somebody they're putting on the shelf i don't think that she doesn't
0: have bedside manner
1: she doesn't have bedside. She's brusque. She interrupts. She gets to the point almost too quickly. She's too blunt. She's too direct. Uh, bedside manner is a great way to sum that up. Uh, she's not the kind of person you want telling you you have a terminal illness. So she she is, but she's not somebody that they Maybe want be. Maybe Elliot shelf.
0: is the person because he'll tell you what's wrong with your terminal. <laughs> sorry. I'm really sorry. I'm sorry. He you can, were in the middle of a point. He can and diagnose that. It. He can diagnose
1: yeah. that. Yeah. So, well, you've got issues with your terminal. It's a terminal illness. Uh, yeah. I don't think Elliot's big on puns. Have we ever heard Elliot make a pun Pun before?
0: Not that I can recall, no.
1: Yeah, I would love to see that. I would love to see the, the, the gag reel of the best Elliot puns, the Remy Malik uh, improv puns that are happening throughout. I've heard it's a legendary thing. No, what I was going to say is. That if her boss, if Santiago was truly was truly dark army, was truly somebody who had this motive that was very negative, I gotta think he would find a way to not have his best agent seemingly out there active in the field working these things. He's the one who says, like, work with the cab companies to find out where the guy went at the end of this scene in his office. In doing so, she very clearly they'd locate Cisco's house, and they're going to get a ton of evidence. Evidence out of that we'll talk about that when we get there but i think that if this guy's motives and agenda were really negative i think he would find a way to put ddp on the shelf he wouldn't let her argue her way back in for from four weeks of being you know being on the shelf after uh, after the shooting they wanted to put her on the shelf for four weeks she went to him he let her stay so i just don't think he'd have somebody her, that capable out in the field if he truly had a negative agenda i think his i think his issue is that he's more hapless but maybe he wants her out in the field so that he knows what every detail right. of the case that's being discovered is. I don't know.
0: That's what I was going to throw at is like maybe you want your best agent out there and you follow your best agent to the local Lupe where you're going to be able to assassinate your Dark Army target. Yeah, and uh, I still,
1: I just don't know if that's what's happening. I think right. that, that there's a good possibility that that's the case. It's Not a, a slam dunk though. It's also possible the Dark Army is getting all they need about the FBI from the Femta cell. Correct. And they heard a radio transmission that led them to the same place where DDP was at that At at that diner. So it could be this guy. It could be the femme to sell. This guy could be hapless. He could have something more in play. Certainly worth watching for sure.
0: How about Elliot and Mr. Robot? They need to go gear up. They need to get some new swag because the cops took all of Elliot's stuff, his stuff. My stuff. So they're going to go to the micro center. They're going to talk about all sorts of stuff in the car on the way. We've already covered a lot of it. It's really basically more of Mr. Robot being like, man, That Joanna Wellick sure is a funky person, huh? Really can't believe a word she's saying. I certainly wouldn't believe anything she's saying. Want to take a nap? Want to go home? Shouldn't we just go home? Let's go home now and ignore this whole Wellick thing? Do you want to do that, Elliot? No, it's like, nah, let's do it. I think that we should keep looking
1: and Mr. Robot in this scene he tells Elliot because I and I can't tell if this is what happened but he tells Elliot if you trace the call to a cranky anchor down the street you should still place the call far away like another country far and when Elliot places the call later I can't tell if Elliot does this or if he just shoots straight with Mr. Sutherland and ignores what Mr. Robot says but even in this scene it isn't just Mr. Robot telling Elliot to go home it's also Mr. Robot saying don't trace that call, and when you do, don't give the right location. Don't don't help these people. And again, I think this is Mr. Robot trying to throw Elliot off the set, like you're saying. Let's just go home. Let's take a nap. When you trace the call, give it a different location. I just don't think that all plays out. I think that Mr. Robot disappears in this scene because the Tyrell phone rings. Somebody's on the other hand, and creep breathing. I don't know what's happening there. Uh, I don't know if it's a J-O situation uh, or what. <laughs> I don't know what that is, Keep going. Yeah, J O in just S H. We got to be quiet about that. So yeah, we just I don't know what's happening there, uh, but but this oh is my. this is something that's happening. Somebody is creep calling Elliot like they have been with the heavy breathing, and whether it's tyrell or whether it's someone else that's at that address, we don't know. But whoever it is, whatever it is, it's enough to make Mister Robot disappear.
0: Yeah, I mean at least that's what it looks like. It certainly looks that way. I feel like that's a reasonable assumption that Mister Robot's like, ah, crap, got a split, and then he runs and he's gone, and he will reemerge when it is time for him to reemerge. And this would certainly explain the glitches from last week of why is Elliot feeling funky? Why is Mister Robot saying we're overheating? Something is wrong with us. Was that authentic, or is Mister Robot trying to put Elliot on and be like, no, we should not be doing all of these things? You want to be doing? We should be doing all of the things that I want to be doing. I've got stage two to look after, buddy. Uh, Maybe that's what's going on with all of that, and this would certainly fall in line with the idea of, oh, crap. Alright, so the phone's ringing. He's already on the path now. Now I gotta split and you know just like stay as far away from this thing. My cover is blown. It's not a full-blown truce with Elliot, and he's smart enough to figure this out in a few minutes. And maybe the thing is that Mr. Robot doesn't have full control over Elliot the way he used to. Maybe he can't put him to bed for three days at a time right now otherwise he would think that's what he would do he would take control over elliot he would throw the phone into the nearest river or wherever he would just get rid of that thing and move on with his day Um, he hasn't done any of that so i think that you got to figure that even if mr robot's plans are counter to elliot and i think that that's a very good assumption i think you got to think that he just isn't as fully powered as he once was
1: Yeah, that is – I think that's a scary and cool way to read that because throughout we have been concerned – with Mr. Robot taking Elliot over. We saw even the sitcom episode where Mr. Robot was able for 19 minutes to present an entirely different reality to Elliot, to keep him away from the very harsh and brutal reality of what was happening when he was getting beaten down. So we've seen Mr. Robot really powerful in this season. And the concern has always been that when Mr. Robot is in control, that Elliot will just short out. We speculate that that's what's happened at the end of season one, where Elliot missed three days. We- We know that other times that that's happened where Elliot just doesn't even remember things, where Mr. Robot has been fully in control. So that has been, I think, what we've been most concerned about. But I think what we see in this episode, maybe Mr. Robot flees, or maybe it's that Elliot emerges with a lot more power, as you're saying. And that's what we see on display. And if that's the case, I think we would have to question, how did we go from... Mr. Robot shorting into Elliot and seemingly being in such control that Elliot was corporally removed that he saw Mr. Robot sitting on the couch next to Darlene as he was sitting on the opposite couch that's where we were just last episode what is it that would make Elliot's power emerge such that he's now much more in control this episode and the only thing that could happen is he's interacted with Joanna Wellick and she's got him sniffing around this Tyrell mystery and maybe that is Elliot putting the pieces together and that's what mr robot is afraid of and that's why he goes away i think that 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 is a really we, we just the, the contrast couldn't be more stark from last episode where mr robot was making elliot disappear where mr robot was more in control than we've ever seen i think on this series to this episode where mr robot is just gone
0: yeah i think that You know, I think it's probably helpful to think about the times that Robot has had the upper hand, like in terms of who's in charge of this body, who's in charge of doing what. And I think that most of the time... It's when Elliot is vulnerable, whether that's emotionally vulnerable, like at the end of season one where he's just like completely torn apart by the confusing circumstances of waking up in this post-apocalyptic world, in this post-5-9 hack world, and Robot is able to uh, exert some authority in that situation or certainly much earlier throughout season one when Elliot isn't even aware of what Mr. Robot really is. Uh, certainly the greatest example of Robot being in control of Elliot is the sitcom sequence from this season, but Elliot's getting the crap knocked out of him. He's physically vulnerable in that moment. Now Elliot, who thinks that he has some understanding with Mr. Robot, emerges from prison, gets himself out of prison, gets his sentence reduced, gets released, is back on the street, and is emboldened and believes that like Mr. Robot and I we shouldn't be fighting. We should be working together. We need to save the people that I've put in jeopardy. I'm emboldened to solve this. They're going to they're gonna meet Mr. Robot. And when Elliot says that to Cisco, he's really, you know, he's basically saying I'm going to put on my Heisenberg hat. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to keep resolving this situation. Little does he know that his Heisenberg hat has a mind of its own and has already made many of its own moves. I think that Elliot leaves prison in a state of wanting to be proactive, about wanting to solve this problem about wanting to fix things up and that runs counter to what Mr. Robot wants but Elliot being as as you know goal oriented as he is Right now, that probably is interfering with Mr. Robot's ability to be really in control. Elliot is looking to be in charge of situations. So when he's being put in the corner by Mr. Robot, when he's in the bathroom and he overhears Mr. Robot with Cisco and Darlene, or when he's in the subway car and he's not allowed access to the conversation that's going on between Cisco and Mr. Robot, I think that these are moments that he's waking up to because Robot can't maintain that hold. He can't put that chokehold on Elliot's mind and put him in this illusory world so easily when Elliot is as wide-eyed as he is right now.
1: Part of that, too, which we didn't really talk about, that feeds into that is as Elliot is getting uh, to Micro Center, as they're driving around, he is seeing everything that happened. He's seeing ATM lines, trash piled up. He's seeing the the homeless people standing around. One guy's holding a sign that says, Ninjas killed my family, Josh. yeah. Is that the Dark Army?
0: Yeah, it's a scary world they're living in. Yeah.
1: So this is all what Elliot is seeing, and he's kind of pensively looking at it as he looks out the window. And his voiceover is, is this what I was fighting for? Maybe wars aren't meant to be won. Maybe Ray had it right all along. And when he thinks about Ray, he, he you're talking about a person who he... Look to for guidance at the expense of Mr. Robot in, in, earlier in this season and he's bringing Ray back up so Elliot is in this place where maybe he isn't as vulnerable and maybe he is thinking about these things more and he is becoming more actualized and as Elliot returns to his normal patterns he's not in prison where Mr. Robot in, can really exploit that vulnerability as you're pointing out he's in a position where he's getting back to the real world and getting back to see everything that's happened and starting to wonder what did I do? Was this worth it? Did I really want people standing in lines at ATMs and piling garbage up? Like, this is not a war I can win. And I think that this is a theme that is emerging through all these characters. Darlene is undergoing this, Cisco, Mobley, Angela. Everybody is asking themselves these same questions. Like, is this worth winning? Is this fight worth it? And I think in Elliot asking himself that, Mr. Robot gets put a little bit in a difficult position because Mr. Robot very clearly has been pushing to to deal with the war throughout and he wants to continue to take actions and Elliot is now questioning that and I think that puts Mr. Robot on on blast a little bit as well and so when Tyrell ultimately does call or whoever it is Mr. Robot's very scared about that because he's realizing Elliot is more actualized right now he isn't as vulnerable and I do think that that's part of it
0: yeah I think also you know Mr. Robot's got to know that the chickens are coming home to roost damn and I think that him being in this position that he's in, fresh out of prison, in concert, in lockstep with Elliot Alderson, probably doesn't have a lot of time to make the moves that he needs to make in order to really get stage two back on track or make sure like, to check in on what's going on with whatever plans he has in motion. He's been away from the situation for 68 days, or 86 days, rather. Uh, he's been away from it for a while, and I think that that could also explain you know, some of the power shortages with Mr. Robot, that it's just like it's a desperate situation on his end as well. So if he's feeling some kernel panic, maybe he's just going to be a little weaker naturally himself. Anyway, it's, it's really complicated. It's really interesting what could possibly be going on with Elliot and Robot. Are you still feeling like there's a possibility that this isn't as nefarious as we are building it up to be? Could Mr. Robot have glitched out again? Like, could it just be an authentic glitch that Mr. Robot isn't here right now? Or do you think that there's just too much smoke here to ignore the fire that Mr. Robot is trying to set?
1: Well, it's weird, right? Because Sutherland is watching Elliot talk to Robot in the rearview mirror as they're driving to Micro Center. He sees Elliot say she's just a grieving wife as Mr. Robot is basically saying he's dead. She needs to know that. And Sutherland is on it. We see a shot of Sutherland watching Elliot so i don 't know if he is hearing Elliot speak as mr. robot and as Elliot talking to himself if he 's only hearing elliot 's replies uh, if that is all what 's happening or not but i do I do think that there 's a chance that other people know about what's up with Elliot. Tyrell in season one refers to Elliot's dirty little secret that he's going to tell and that's going to let the people around him down or whatever. A lot of people point to that as Tyrell knowing that Elliot has Mr. Robot, that Elliot is, is two people. Uh, some people, I think the surface meaning, the, what we interpreted is that Tyrell knew that Elliot switched the files and that was the dirty little secret, that Elliot had a revenge plot against E Corp because of his dad and that that's the secret and that people like Angela would be let down when they found out that Elliot had lied and hacked and done all these horrible things to make Terry Colby look responsible. But it's possible that they know more, that they, the, the, the Wellick family people, including Sutherland, know more about Elliot and his dual personalities if that's the case it maybe isn't as nefarious like maybe they know this is just a a messed up guy and maybe whatever Mr. Robot is putting forward there is, is just Mr. Robot wants to stay alive wants to stay part of Elliot's life he's pleading with Elliot when they're in the graveyard in season one like don't let them don't let them separate us don't let don't let me go away that seems to be more than anything what Mr. Robot's goal is not necessarily something nefarious I think In Mr. Robot's world, the worst thing that could happen would be Mr. Robot doesn't exist anymore. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So he, I think, always is trying to fight the situations that will make that a problem. But I think this weird bargain he's struck with Elliot as the result of everything that happened this season is something he also doesn't want to see jeopardized and when Elliot doesn't listen to him and when I think other people are around Elliot like Sutherland I think it's a good time for Mr. Robot to kind of go away and not not be present because being present could jeopardize the balance that they struck and Elliot is asking these questions that Mr. Robot probably doesn't want him to be asking and so maybe it's nefarious maybe it's just Mr. Robot not wanting... Elliot to be invested in getting rid of him, and I think that that's part of it as well.
0: All right, well, Elliot is going to return to his apartment, sans robot, it seems at least for now. And we are going to we're going to see Elliot do a really cool thing. Uh, I know a lot of people must have been really psyched about this Pringles can trick that he does. Like this is classic Elliot. This is the kind of Elliot we didn't see throughout this whole prison arc. This is old school Elliot. Creating what uh, Core Adana called to me a Pringles antenna, which apparently you take a USB Wi-Fi dongle and mount it inside an empty Pringles can, strategically aim it, and you'll be able to access distant SSIDs and increase your signal anywhere from five to twenty-two dB. I don't even know what that stands for. Uh, think of it as a shotgun microphone, but for Wi-Fi connectivity, that's really cool. Uh, it's really fun to see Elliot back in action. It's really quick, but it's just a Cool, clever Elliot moment.
1: Yeah, they do just an awesome job with this next yeah, sequence, fun. the way it's edited because we see Elliot putting together the Pringles can antenna and you wonder, because if you look closely, you can see the Pringles in the cart at Micro Center, but yeah, this is an old school trick apparently. I'm glad you asked Donna about it. I'm going to try it sometime. I, I'm, I think I'm going to try that sometime. I love stealing Wi-Fi. It's fun, so I would like to steal some Wi-Fi. I like to go to like a public park and just put an empty Pringle can next to me just sort of placed up like an antenna and just see what kind of responses I get.
0: I think that's a good move. I yeah. think that's the right move.
1: Hello, officer. I just ate all these Pringles. Pay me no attention.
0: So Elliot is going to try and figure out who called the phone, who keeps calling the phone, where is this from, where are the calls coming, is it from inside the house? It turns out that probably it is, maybe not this house, but a house, and as he is doing all of this, as he is investigating that, we see Darlene and Cisco. they are at the hospital, they did bring Vincent by, and Darlene is basically saying, hey, Cisco, all that stuff you said before, you're right, I get it, I agree with all of that, P.S., here is this incredibly traumatic story from my childhood that you have never heard and is going to completely recontextualize everything that I've ever been through.
1: Yeah, and it's going to have everyone speculating who this weird tall lady with the pink lipstick was.
0: Right, so Darlene tells this story about how when she was five, a year after she first saw Susan Jacobs on the television, if you're keeping track, when Darlene was five, her parents, both of them still alive, took us to Coney Island. Uh, She saw this incredible roller coaster. She wanted to ride it. She wasn't big enough, so she hung out with her mom while Elliot and his father were on the roller coaster. And somehow... I wonder how. I can't imagine that uh, Darlene's mom would ever be such a bad parent uh, to lose track of her child. But somehow, Darlene goes missing, is not afraid loves being missing also loves it when a complete and rando stranger a random nando comes along and scoops darlene up wearing this really smudged red lipstick tells her she can have anything she wants from nathan's brings her home makes her feel like a princess all very normal stuff that everybody hopes happens to them right Antonia? oh everybody wants that no who doesn't want that scary scary situation that darlene is describing being kidnapped and loving it which is you know scary on so many levels one of which is just uh how how pleasant this woman must have seen for darlene to have been following along for the ride but also speaks to how terrible darlene's life with her actual family was that this was a preferable situation so a lot going on
1: that's definitely the part that stands out to me for sure, and the fact that her mom was asleep on the job right That darlene is that the mr robot and Elliot are up in the Ferris wheel or the roller coaster, or wherever it is, and Darlene's mom just asleep on the job
0: asleep on the job um, Darwin talks about how she went to sleep hoping that it wasn't a dream and that she'd wake up in the same place and sure enough she did and yet then the cops came in and took her home and sometimes she wonders what would have happened to her life if she had gotten to stay in this castle essentially if she got to stay being a princess would she have gotten a better life but if that had happened she wouldn't have ever met Elliot or she wouldn't have had Elliot in her life still uh, so it speaks to the power of her relationship with Elliot for sure Uh, It's a testament to how much she loves her brother, how much she respects her brother. She's saying to Sisko, like, all of those things you said that I'm not, those are the things that Elliot is. He's the special one. This is all Elliot. So it's her kind of opening up and admitting that. But also, I think, for a lot of people who are thinking that, like, is Darlene like an intentionally negative force in Elliot's life, I think that this flies in the face of that. In terms of her being a, a negative force, yeah. There. Well, in terms of her being an, I want to be a negative in for a negative influence in Elliot's life. I want to be the person who's flipping the switch on and switching it off for my own enjoyment, my own personal gain. Uh, I feel like I don't know if you want to say it's dead. I've never really been on board with any of that to begin with. But I feel like Darlene talking about Elliot and the way she's talking about him here is more out of admiration and love for her brother than it is like I'm using my brother for some twisted plans.
1: Com- Completely agree. And she, she really talks about how ultimately she says that, listen, Elliot was the special one. I I always thought it was crazy that we got away with this. I thought it was me, but it wasn't me or Mobley or Trenton or Romero. It was Elliot. It was him. I'm not special. Elliot was the one with the plan. He's the one they're taking seriously. I think when she has the opportunity to take a step back, you're right. What she thinks about Elliot is positive, not I'm maybe I mean, maybe you could you could still read this as Darlene paying lip service to Cisco and making Cisco, throwing Cisco off the trail. But I just don't see that. I think that you're right. This is a moment of vulnerability for Darlene. And in her vulnerable moment, she talks about Elliot as though he's the most important thing in her life. She's very lucky, by the way. If you're a kid and you're at a fun place and you wander away from your your your, your mom, you could end up in a gorilla pit, Josh.
0: You can. Yeah. <laughs> that is one place. Peter that is one place you can end up. I think that I told this story briefly on one of the chapters on the evolution of strategy, but I could kind of relate in that I was at like a fair like this uh, with my mom when I was younger, and I ran away. And the worst thing that happened was I got to go to the bouncy castle, and they uh, had to search the entire amusement park for me, and they found me just bouncing away. <laughs> uh, so that was like my little my little delinquent moment I as was a kid Josh at a fair. And- <laughs> just joshing you, but mm-hmm. uh, down. Yeah. Uh I, I love this I love this story about Darlene in concert with what we had heard about her earlier in the season with the Susan Jacobs story. Four years old, she's seeing that on TV and making a mental note of probably should kill that woman someday. Or at least, you know, like that seed is starting to grow. It's you know, it's planted there and it's gonna grow throughout her life. Here we find out a lot more about what her family life was like, that, you know, being kidnapped was almost a preferable situation than living with her family that happened when she was five years old she was abducted for an overnight abduction that's a long time to be kidnapped any amount of time is a long time to be kidnapped as far as i'm concerned so i think that having um having these moments now out on the table about darlene I feel like, you know, this season has been doing a really great job of giving you a better picture of her and why she is the way she is and why she is so morose and why she is so cynical and why she, you know, really is so anti society, why she truly is all about that F society, F society. Uh, I think that hearing stories about her trauma in her early, early life. That really helps to provide some clarity for where Darlene is at. Not to forgive her, not to excuse some of the things that she's done, but to explain why she's done some of the things she's done. This story really, really helps to further that.
1: And very similar story to Elliot not wanting to take the train back home when he was a kid with his dad because he didn't like his reality there. He preferred a different reality. And that is that is something where it, wasn't, it didn't have anything to do with his dad. He was good with his dad, but his mom was a real problem, and I think a lot of what's going on with Darlene, or what she's talking about here, this wasn't an older man who took her, this was an older woman, a surrogate mother, and she treated her, gave her whatever she wanted at Nathan's Hot Dogs, asked her what she wanted, which hurt. neither of her parents apparently ever did, so it was not an easy family, it doesn't sound like, to grow up in, the Alderson family, and it wasn't like the sitcom version, although I think that that represented a lot of the darkness that was underpinning a lot of what was happening, whether it was the mom burning cigarettes on the kids arms punching Darlene whatever it is I think that that is very similar to let's all take a trip to Coney Island that's the Alderson family trip that we saw in the sitcom scene and Darlene was very disconnected from that but we saw what was happening with that was Darlene's mom was just abusing her the whole time and wanting her to be silent when we talked about that episode we talked about how it was ultimately Elliot as Mr. Robot who was manifesting this world and in that world he thought what was best for Darlene was to not be part of it to just be completely asleep as much as possible and to not interact with that world uh the reality of it is maybe a little more complicated that darlene had a much rougher upbringing than elliot really wants to put a bow on and they've both had bolo on the bolo on like a a string tie but yeah this is Is
0: uh the same kind of tie that neil has
1: it has not the same kind of tie. It has two strings, not one. And there's strings. It. Yeah, you don't want it to be. you yes. don't want. Yeah, you, Stop. Wanna, you don't want. <laughs> you, you don't want Uncle Neil's tie to be a skinny tie. Away, away. Yes, exactly. Mister Goy. Yes. Okay. We're reset. All right. That's good. Yeah. So this is this is. It's just really. We talk a ton on this podcast about how that Washington Township incident, the factory incident, gave birth to Angela and Darlene and Elliot and how they look at the world and what they do with it manifest in very different ways that speak to who they are as individuals, but they all have this same collective issue. I think the same thing has to be remembered about the upbringing that Elliot has. and We see young Elliot with his mother a lot in season one in these flashback moments, none of which are very... Very healthy or fun but we have to remember that Darlene is a woman and that is her mother too she's the one who won't go talk to her mother in the hospital even so or whatever that place is so Darlene's issues with her mom are pretty deep and I think this story really reflects a lot of what her issues were even at five that she was so upset that she was happy to be kidnapped by this crazy lady and wanted to stay there and Elliot was the only thing that she would regret if she had
0: Great character development. It um, is it's a great story perfectly timed for Darlene to get filled with bullets.
1: (laughs) Good boot episode story. (laughs)
0: This is great. That's great for the edit. Really good. Uh, While she's telling that story, you're right. This scene is so great because it's juxtaposed with Elliot hacking the number, trying to figure out who is calling the Tyrell phone, who's calling the Joanna Wellick phone. Um, So we're seeing all of that. He's making progress. He's like filling out suicide threat reports in order to facilitate the search. Is that what's going on here?
1: Yeah, this, uh, Elliot has realized that you can't just trace a call. This isn't, he can't just get Chloe to triangulate the signal. Damn it. He has to go through weirder means. He's not a law enforcement officer, this Elliot. so, but he realizes he can impersonate a law enforcement officer. Again, this is a, a mix of a hack and social engineering. He he finds online a manual or a guide or a PDF with a He form. found a
0: manual. Nice. He found a I've, manual. He I've found, been looking for a manual. He
1: found the Lamb of God. So yes. that is what he is located. Yahweh is here. Uh, he found a manual, and it's a PDF. He, he gets a page that is this thing that you can ultimately fax over, which is, hey, phone company, we need you to trace a call where the police police and the there's an emergency associated with the trace and that's why this needs to go through this quick uh, backdoor channel right away by sending the fax what he does is he spoofs it he makes it seem like the fax was sent directly from the NYPD from an NYPD number then he calls to follow up and pretends to be a police officer and in doing so he has used the proper channels he looks up and finds the number that law enforcement officers would call for this he calls the cell phone company directly pretending to to be a law enforcement officer, uses the facts that he spoofed as though it was sent from a law enforcement officer, and gets the information he's looking for
0: yeah so that's really cool that's a great little trick for elliot again you know that combined with the pringles cantenna. it's a real return to form for elliot this week uh and a great return to form for elliot in another way in a really cool way that mr robot again a show that is constantly inviting speculation and theorizing and the existence of two-hour podcasts talking about 43 minute episodes I don't know what you're talking about but in this episode specifically in this scene specifically sutherland and, you know the chief keith is talking to elliot this. about all sorts of stuff and elliot's like oh god all right he's just gonna keep droning on i'm going to disengage and that's gonna give you and i a minute to talk and he's talking to us and he's laying out everything that you and i talked about last week Elliot's like can you hear me like are you focused good let's talk why is mr robot afraid Why is Mr. Robot gone? Was he lying about Tyrell? Remember what he said? You know, one of the last things he said, he was desperate to come home from prison. That's all he wanted. He wanted to go back to my apartment. He wants to be here. Is there something here? Can you look? Can you help me? And the camera is panning all over the room. So slowly, perfect speed, exact amount of time that any Redditor or eagle-eyed Mr. (laughs) Robot fan could possibly need to scan the room and freeze frame that for a week and come up with all sorts of answers. There's probably tons of answers that are already out there at the time of this recording, Antonio.
1: I don't know about that. I haven't seen a ton of answers. Maybe it's something that's happened in the last hour, hour and a half.
0: Granted, you and I are recording this, you know, at like noon on a Thursday after the episode. So there's still plenty of time for people to be digging around. But the digging, at least, has begun.
1: Yes. And you played a really, you, oh my gosh, here we go again. You, you played a really key role in being a conduit for this. Uh, tell me more about how Corradana uh, worked, yes. uh, worked with you, I
0: think, a little bit on this. I was the Crisco for... Uh, you were. You were the lumber king. <laughs> For this mystery. Yes. No, so again, I got to speak to Corradona, co-writer of this episode, technology uh, producer on Mr. Robot, really great guy, very smart, funny human being, uh, about this episode for The Hollywood Reporter this week. We'll link to the article in the show notes here on postshowrecaps.com. And I asked him about this scene. I said, at one point, Elliot invites us, his friend, to help him solve the mystery by studying his apartment. The camera slowly pans across the room, lingering for a long time. How does this scene speak to the dynamic between the show Elliot and his friend us the show's audience often searches for clues to explore conspiracy theories and some even predicted the prison twist as early as the premiere what does this scene indicate about the show and the audience's relationship in solving the greater robot riddle as Elliot directly asks us for help and core's answer was Honestly, I've been waiting for this moment for months. I'm so glad this ended up in an episode I got to write. This level of interaction is very much in the spirit of our digital Easter eggs that are hidden throughout the series. Elliot asking for our help elevates the relationship we have with him. It gives us an opportunity to get ahead of him and solve a mystery, which is something our audience is very good at. We want our audience to be able to hack the show, and that can come from a technical, psychological, or narrative place. Inviting the audience to help in this way makes this show a real interactive experience it goes way beyond entertainment that's being passively consumed it makes you a part of the story So that's what he said in response to that. We'll break that down in a second. And then more urgently, I followed up by saying, with that in mind, how much should we study the scene? Can you point to any particular corners of the room we should pay close attention to? Cora Donna replied by saying, I'll do my best to be helpful here. This is, there's definitely a hint in the scene. I don't know if I should tell you what main corner to look in or if the hint is even in the corner of the frame, but go ahead and study that scene to see what you can find. This interview was conducted over email uh Coridana phrased this response very deliberately with typos throughout the response. And if you see the typos, there's capitalized letters randomly throughout the answer. And when you string those capitalized letters together, it spells out bottom right. So look in the bottom right of the scene where we are seeing Elliot's apartment. I think that there are a few possible bottom rights that you could look at throughout that scene, but still a really cool clue from Corridana about the scene that is inviting viewers to hack Mr. Robot, in his own words, which is really vindicating a lot of what you and I have said about the nature of the show and the mystery, uh, the mysteries on the show, at least the philosophy in the writer's room is like, come along for the ride, figure this out before Elliot, if you can. Uh, and I love that. I think that's great. I, this whole thing just makes me super, super happy.
1: It makes me very happy too. And I... I love that the the creators of the show are so engaged in this it can be a little much we talk about Lindelofing a lot on our podcast here at post show recaps Damon Lindelof famously did a lot of these question asking mystery setups in lost he's done a little bit on the leftovers we we know when something is being a character name is being thrown out there could it have a double meaning could it mean that by naming a character a certain thing you want the audience to look up that name and realize that name could mean something for their role in the story they've been doing that exact same kind of thing on Mr. Robot I mean Vera told us like oh, what's your name mean bro like he told him to look it up like he's he's basically told us as the audience like this is the way we should be engaging with the show and one of the things we don't talk a ton about on our podcast because I don't think either of us are savvy enough in this regard but the digital ARG that's going on the alternate reality game or the stuff that's happening in Mr. Robot There, they're, every time there's an IP Address, for example, or something that's listed somewhere on a screen, even if it's in passing, usually if you go to it, it's something connected to the show. It's a weird website for E Corp. It's a login. It's Confictura Industries. It's something that is connected to what's going on. Does that ultimately influence or impact the larger story of what Philip Price and White Rose are really up to about what Elliot's goals are? What are he whether he was motivated by the Dark Army or what? Not necessarily. a lot of that's just fun for fun's sake and in the spirit of the show. But occasionally there are things that go on that are hints as to what's happening. Josh, the biggest thing we didn't really get to talk about it you and I because it happened on an episode that you were gone. But even that little red light that was in Krista's office, I was we thought it might be gaslighting, telling us we're crazy looking for these things. Ultimately, it was legitimately real, and it was one of the connective parts of the tissue that connected the prison scenes to not actually being in Krista's office. So right. little things like that on the show do matter. I appreciate that. A lot of them don't matter, but are still fun. And this sounds like something as Coridan is saying, and I, it's too bad, Josh, we could have called this podcast Hacking Robot. That sounds like a really good name. <laughs> should have gone for that because they want yeah. us to hack the show, you know? So man, somebody should really use that name. It's a good one. Uh, it's a good gerund noun set up, <laughs> uh, which is very popular. But, uh, but yeah, it, I would say ultimately, I really do like that the show asks us to engage on that level. However, I hope that it is not that you can only enjoy the show if you're doing that. And I don't think that's the case. I think that's the difficult balance shows like this strike. A lot of people aren't going to be invested on that level and aren't going to track those things for the people that are, it's going to be awesome for the people that aren't, it's not going to make a big deal. There are other shows that hid these, these things in plain sight. Uh, we I've been talking on breaking bad, uh, with, uh, on Twitter with, uh, one of our post show recaps listeners, Johnny Silvera, who is uh, watching it for the first time. And he's not really, Realizing, I think, some of the things that Breaking Bad did in a similar way to set these things up. So I don't know what's going on in this scene. There's a lot of speculation that the bottom right that you got out of Corridana with the random capitalized letters refers to a book that is seen in the bottom right hand corner of the shot. There's a book that's open. It appears even that there's a passage that's highlighted. People have then gone in to look at other Mr. Robot things. There was a VR experience where you could see around Elliot's apartment. Maybe you can see the book there. That has Hasn't been cracked yet, but people are also speculating, Josh, that this all ties in to the hallucinations from season one, episode four, where Qwerty says, "Move me to a goddamn window," because his previous perch would have been right in the bottom right where that shot was. So, is it somehow related to Qwerty? And ultimately, what would Mister Robot want? Why would he want something that was in that location? So, there are a lot of people chasing this one down, going all the way down the bottom right rabbit hole, and. Now, I don't I don't have a good answer for it. Do you have any suggestions or beliefs what this could be?
0: No, I don't uh Bottom right is about as far as I've gotten. I haven't seen if anyone has really cracked this one yet. I'm I'm obviously interested in it. I'm excited to find out what this reveal is. I'm not probably going to be doing too much of a deep dive myself. And when you say like, hopefully, like it, you know, Mister Robot is still enjoyable. If you're not doing this stuff, like for me, it absolutely is. I really like that the show is inviting the people who really, really want to pay razor attention to that detail uh, to really, really sniff this thing out. I don't think it's going to be me. You talk about ARGs. I was burned by those lost ARGs that amounted to nothing. Me too. So, so I don't really participate in that stuff beyond talking about it for a few hours once a week. Um, so, so I'm interested in finding out what's in there. Uh, I, I wonder if it's like, is there just going to be like an Easter egg clue that you can read? Like if you blow up one of the passages on that book that you mentioned it's going to say what Mr. Robot's stage two plan is or something like that. Who knows what it is or Or is there an actual item in Elliot's apartment? that Mr. Robot needs. I was a little bit out on that at first and thinking more the first thing of it just being like here's a clue for the audience but having rewatched this episode a couple of times and thinking back about what Mr. Robot really does want from the moment that he's out of prison. It's like let's go home. Let's go home. Let's go home. There clearly is something physically in Elliot's apartment that Mr. Robot requires.
1: Well and Uh, Elliot in this scene says something to the effect of what was the last thing he said and I thought the last thing he said was hey, if you do trace the call, ...put it far away, like another country far. Maybe that's not the very last thing that he said. Maybe it's maybe the last thing he said was, we need to go home. Uh, and I, I don't exactly know what the something could be. Is there a book that would let Elliot know where Tyrell was? Is there something there that would solve the Tyrell mystery? And that's what Mr. Robot is worried about. Or is there something bigger there that is connected? What, Of course, the fascinating part is that the police were in that apartment. They took all of Elliot's stuff, as we talked about. So the police have been there, and yet Mr. Robot thinks that whatever he needs would still be there. So it can't be something very obvious. It can't be something like a USB drive or a memory storage device or I mean maybe they even found Elliot's burn book of CDs. I don't know if that's the case doesn't seem like it because Ellie only had charges related to what happened with Lenny Michael Shannon, but it, it could be that, that what Mr. Robot's looking for is, is something fairly innocuous. It could be a book with a highlighted passage that once we read the passage, like it's going to change the way we look at Mr. Robot, Tyrell, whatever it is, it could be something much more significant. I don't, I don't have a great read on it. The lot of the stuff that is being talked about on Reddit is fairly, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? esoteric, I would say. It's really kind of out there and not necessarily um, not necessarily something that the, the broader audience can get. And I feel like if this is related to a bigger twist, it has to be something that is very clear. I won't use an example from Breaking Bad, but it has to be something that when you see it as an audience, you understand the significance of it, or you get why Mr. Robot might be wanting to hide that. It isn't something that you should have to read 15 levels into in order to understand it. So I'm, I'm willing, I mean, I can't wait to find out what it is, but I don't, I don't really have an answer as to what it could be other than I feel like to to appease the broader audience, the people that aren't paying a super granular level of attention. It has to be something that is recognizably something that Mr. Robot would want. Once we know what it is.
0: I think it's just the kind of thing that like, if, if we spot the object or the objects or the things, whatever it is that Mr. Robot is after in the week between episodes, uh, good for us. I think is really what it's come down to. And then it's going to be an explicit moment on the show. Uh, uh, you know, you, you know, if you weren't paying attention over the course of the week in between episodes, there is going to be an explicit moment where Christian Slater gets his hands around the big red ruby item and snickers and cackles like an evil villain or whatever the hell is going to happen. You know, something will happen on the show where you're like, okay, that's what's going on here. That's what he needed from this apartment, I think, anyway. Um, so we'll see. I just, I love this invitation. And I, and I love this idea of getting us as a character involved, but beyond that, getting Elliot and his friend on the same page because Elliot took it so personally. He believed that we figured out that Elliot and Mr. Robot were the same person uh, before he came to that conclusion. And he took that really hard and kept this out of his perfect little loop for the majority of season two. Um, And so he has had a, a turbulent relationship with us. And now he's asking us for help. And he is asking us to help him figure out the mystery. Kind of puts us back on the same page. I like that. I think that that's a good meta note for the show as well especially with some people who were frustrated by some of the mysteries earlier in the season, although I don't think that the show is or should be catering to the people who are frustrated with it. Uh, I just think that it's a good idea to get everybody on board with each other, everybody suspicious of Mr. Robot right now, because that's such an obvious possibility to us. For Elliot now to be engaging that possibility himself is a really good place to have the show, and now that Elliot is walking around in the free world again, it's good to see that he has some agency of his own, and even if he's behind on a mystery, He's at least now on the mystery's tail.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I think there's a couple more interesting things about this scene that we haven't really, we, we've only teased the, the edges of. The first is there's a motif throughout this episode, and it's auditory in nature. When Joanna and Elliot are talking, there's the noise machine playing. We hear some noise similar to that in this apartment here when Elliot is there with, uh, with Mr. Sutherland, with Chief Keefe. And we, we hear Elliot like talk about how you can actually drown out this noise and drown out what's ultimately happening in the background and the audio profile of the episode changes we don't hear Mr. Sutherland talking anymore we only hear Elliot talking to us and so that is an audio thing that's going on as well later on in the episode when Elliot and Angela are on the train there are these weirdly well or probably not weirdly they're intentionally placed subway ads for something called phase which says something like excellent audio for discerning listeners and there are two posters, one behind Angela, one behind Elliot. I don't think this is a real company, from what I can tell and from what I've looked at on the internet. And I don't know if the excellent audio there, if the EA is Elliot Alderson, if there's something more with an anagram or something in play there. I don't know what's ultimately happening, but last week we talked about the motif of cameras on the show. This week the motif is audio. The file name, if you will, the episode title is Hidden Process, and the file extension is axx which is an audio thing so i don't know if there is if there's something to be said for this mystery being somehow audio related do you have any thoughts on that
0: yeah the audiobook version of mr robot is forthcoming and that is going to be very revealing that's what's going on here
1: Okay, yeah, that's probably it. It's the audiobook. They do have a book coming out, uh, which I've pre-ordered, which is ostensibly just Elliot's journal from uh, the- the Mr. Robot,
0: Red Wheelbarrow.
1: Red Wheelbarrow, right.
0: I've heard good things.
1: Yeah, I can't wait to get into that. I'm sure that will be chock full of Easter eggs from this season and seasons to come. But, uh, But- I don't know if there's anything else going on with the audio do you, you you have no no real thought on this
0: no I hadn't I hadn't seen this I hadn't I hadn't been paying attention to it um, you have to first listen, first, first, I'm, first I'm hearing of it yeah. yes
1: exactly so yeah I don't know I think that if it's very possible that if there is something in this it's something audio there are ways that you can hide audio files in other files uh, Elliot has been doing that in, as a matter of fact or sorry hide files in audio files that's Ultimately, what Elliot does, all those CDs that are in Elliot's burn book are playable. Like you could play those and listen to Pink Floyd. It just so happens there are documents that are hidden in the audio files that are also on the CD, and that's what Elliot's been doing. So I do wonder if there are more audio-oriented people in the audience, if what they need to do is isolate a track or get rid of that white noise that's in the Wellick scene, or maybe there's something in the book related to that. Uh, there is speculation that the book is some kind of of... <laughs> just informative book about link like an email servers and microsoft email servers and enough
0: if, about the email servers oh
1: gosh we've had enough about the damn emails yeah but if that's the case if if that's it people are speculating that there is a, a section uh, based on voice in that book and that maybe that this is again a sound your ear motif uh, that is happening in this in this bit so hopefully people on reddit can dig up exactly what's going on uh, but maybe not maybe this is something where we're going to see the camera pan in slowly on the book and we'll be able to keep a secret from elliot elliot's asking us for our help remember what happened last time we kept a secret from elliot like elliot thinks we have the ability to talk back to him apparently but maybe us figuring it out before elliot isn't the best thing that could happen
0: Yeah, I think that would be such a step backward for him to get angry at us again on the show. I really hope we're not going there. Like, I I want this to be a progressive relationship. I want us to be on the same page. So I hope that he's not going to get furious with us. But you're right. I mean, we've certainly seen it before when he felt like we were holding something back from him. Anyway, moral of the story is active investigation going on. We are recording this podcast fairly uh, close to the episode airing. You know, it's like 12 hours later at this point. So we don't have any real progress on on the issue bottom right seems like there's a book there maybe some audio mumbo jumbo going on we will update you guys on the next podcast once those answers have revealed themselves or if they are on the show hopefully considering that's going to be part one of the two-part finale you would hope that some of these mysteries will have been resolved at that point
1: yes another um, another question about this which will lead us into further discussion of the elliot and uh what's happening here mr mr chief keith talks about how he sa- he says basically i and he he doesn't say it right in this scene but he says like he's he's kind of 50 50 like part of it wants part of him wants it to be tyrell and part of him doesn't want it to be tyrell he i think says half of me wants it to be him half of me doesn't and he starts talking about his other clients do you make anything of his half and half answer there that tyrell's maybe a monster that he didn't always agree with and that's the half that doesn't want him to be alive
0: So Tyrell Wellick is the Arnold Palmer of Chief Keefe's clientele. Arnie
1: Palmy's like half iced tea, half lemonade?
0: Yeah, it's really what's going on with Tyrell right now. It's a beautiful beverage. Um, Yeah, no, I, I think that I mean he has driven Tyrell around a lot. He has seen probably Tyrell beat the crap out of that homeless guy multiple times. He has certainly been privy to some of the stuff that Tyrell has done. I wouldn't want that guy as my client, or at least half of me wouldn't. And maybe the other half would be like, oh, but he pays so well. Uh, ick. So I think that, you know, that could be, that could really be the piece of it is just like, there's good news and bad news about Tyrell. Well, the good news is he blows up your bank account. The bad news is he maybe blows up society. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah i or maybe there's something more that's what i'm wondering is right. i'm wondering does chief keith maybe know something more and that's why he's not sure and i think we have to uh, right now we don't know what happens on the next couple of episodes when elliot does find the address and he gets that that location and he looks it up we can't see on the screen but elliot has pulled up spokio and found that it's a residence presumably there's a name listed there when when chief keith sees that he's upset he says GD, he drops a hard GD, Josh, and he says, is that where the phone is right now? The question is, ultimately, is he upset for which half? Like Which half of him, that, is it the half that wanted Tyrell to be alive or dead, that's upset when he sees where the phone is right now?
0: Yeah, well, he sees that it's 92 East 82nd Street, Upper East Side of Manhattan, near Park Avenue, near Central Park, pretty posh neighborhood. Whoever lives there is very lucky to have that residence. But who is that person? Who is this person that Sutherland, that Chief Keefe would see this? Building would see this address and instantly know not only uh, that Tyrell Wellick would not be calling from there, but also if that's what he knows, then he has to know who does live there or what that building actually is. So, what can we divine from that? What can we divine from what we know of Sutherland, who he's interacted with, who he may have uh, who he may have interacted with in the past, who he has chauffeured Joanna to in the past? Could that be the Wellick residence? I think that that's probably out. Because he would figure that Elliot, having just been to Joanna Wellick's house, would see that address and be like, "Joanna Wellick's house," you know. Like he would have had that moment that we would have been privy to on the show. So I think that takes it out of the running. If we're thinking that this is a place that we already know. The lead candidate on the board, I think, is Scott Knowles' residence. Um, You and I have talked about that offline. I think you and I arrived at that same general conclusion pretty quickly together, Um, that Scott Knowles is certainly someone that Sutherland would know about, having driven Joanna there earlier in the season when Joanna emerged at Scott Knowles' house, and he was wasted on red wine, and they had their little awkwardly tense conversation there. Um, So I think that—and of course, why would Tyrell be calling from Scott? knowles's house if he murdered scott knowles's wife what world would tyrell Wellick be living at scott knowles's house but is it possible that we are going to see that like somebody else was you know not just madam executioner's apartment was being boarded by f society is there another higher-up e-corp executive that is whether they know it or not housing tyrell Wellick? could tyrell be camping out at scott knowles's house is this scott knowles's house
1: or is it just scott knowles red wine drunk just being a creep
0: yeah, that's also that's also not impossible that he is just heavy, heavy red wine breathing on the phone, is sending all of this stuff to uh, Joanna himself. You know, maybe Sharon Knowles was pregnant. Maybe Sharon was pregnant when she was killed by Tyrell and these are ways of Scott Knowles like really torturing joanna with what he himself is tortured by that's not off the table totally possible that scott knowles himself is just being horrifying and trying to freak the crap out of joanna wellick into getting her maybe to make some sort of tyrell reveal that will allow him to get the vengeance that he wants that will allow scott knowles to get the vengeance he wants that's a possibility other possibility is tyrell wellick is like living in the knowles dungeon and like touching all their stuff
1: yeah i don't know (laughs) touching all their stuff you know like maybe
0: like like all of the presents that Joanna is being sent are, like, all of Sharon's, like, secret jewelry that's, like, undocumented so far in the months since her death. Like, maybe he's just stealing stuff from her and sending it on over to Joanna.
1: Well, it's weird because... It's really creepy to consider. <laughs> we know that Joanna got a call from somebody outside of her house at one point. And she ran outside to track down the call because she heard the sirens in the background and recognized, oh my gosh, this person's calling from my neighborhood. And when she ran outside, she didn't really see Tyrell. She just kind of got the impression that somebody may have just left from that area. And so if Tyrell has been kept prisoner and these calls are related to that, then I don't know how to place that call but it's entirely possible that it is that it is scott Knowles just being a creep and tyrell is dead and that this call does not verify one way or validate one way or the other tyrell's existence and that all the stuff has just been scott Knowles being a total creep the entire time i love that i uh, yeah i i love it i i love as long it.
0: as as long as it doesn't mean that tyrell is actually dead because that would be such a bummer but I, I there's part of me that would really enjoy it if this was just scott Knowles red wine angry breathing at people on the it
1: seems like a lot of people would be not satisfied with that payoff let's just say
0: <laughs> i think that's probably true I like unless, it. unless there was a big tyrell payoff as well yeah that was unrelated to the phone
1: yeah and the phone was a MacGuffin and meant to throw right. you off the set and it was just scott knowles being a creep i i like that read i don't know i i think knowles is the most likely i know you said we talked about it i just think that that is the address mr mr x mr sutherland whatever his name is he recognizes it right away
0: he <laughs> recognizes it right away so i think like you know and he's so,
1: upset
0: about it. He's upset about it. So like if you're if you're laying out the possibility Scott Knowles doing this on his own is one that if it hadn't already been out there, I think that this is starting us to starting to get us at least getting those wheels turning. Or it's Tyrell. Tyrell is shacked up at uh, Scott Knowles' house. Whether or not Scott Knowles knows it would be another question. Like, is he actively a prisoner of Scott Knowles' right now, and he's just being regularly abused by Scott Knowles, finding out just how small Scott Knowles' bladder is? Uh, you know, like, we don't know what's going on there, or if Tyrell is, you know, camping in a secret corner of Scott Knowles' house. Is it so big and opulent that he wouldn't even notice a really scary, sneaky Tyrell Wellick? Lots of different possibilities. Is he just there right now? Could he? Is he... Ma- you know, is this is this? He just got to Scott Knowles' house, and he just did something awful to Scott Knowles. Um, could it and be, I mean, could again, that's Philip, also it could yeah. just not be Scott Knowles' house.
1: Yeah, it could it be Philip, Philip house. Price's house? Right, right. You know, yeah. They, they, I think the name was there, so it could be a name, not just an address that that Mister Sutherland recognized. So it could be Philip Price. It could be something like that. And I think that speaks to the larger concern or larger belief that people have that Tyrell was operating as part of a group that he wasn't lone actor who just was working with Elliot. He tells Mr. Robot Tyrell, we were supposed to be partners. We're supposed to be partners, etc." So it seems like Tyrell is on his own, on his own doing, but it could be someone like Philip Price who has a bigger goal in mind and who would scare Mr. Sutherland or make him angry to see the thing. I think Scott Knowles is the most likely answer, but I think it could be someone like Philip Price. That does seem a possible E Corp person. It doesn't seem likely that for example, it's DDP. Uh, it doesn't seem likely that it's angela it seems more likely that it's somebody from e corp or somebody that mr sutherland would recognize their name instantly and see that it might be part of uh, something bigger and he's immediately putting that together so i don't know maybe it's it could also be that it's a douchebag
0: boyfriend right <laughs> yeah, but that's a really plush place for douchebag boyfriend to be living.
1: Oh, but maybe he's not living there. That's just where the phone is right now. So I don't know exactly what that is, but uh, that could be you know that could be something related to that. It could be something where uh, Darlene or uh, Joanna has had Mr. Sutherland take her there before. I don't know, uh, but yeah, you're right. It's a very plush, weird area for him to be living. But it could be someone like that. I'm just thinking of other people that would be instantly recognizable to Mr. Sutherland and who would upset him to. To see and I, so far I've got those three.
0: I like the idea of, you know, Elliot and Tyrell, what were they up to in those three days that we don't have access to yet? Like, were they working together on something? Were they united in some sort of agenda? Uh, Could this be where Elliot and Philip Price interacted for the first time? where they're fully aware of each other's existence? And did Elliot include Price on the plan? Is the Mr. Robot side of Elliot maybe a bit of a mercenary himself and isn't quite as idealistic as he said? And he has forged some plan with Philip Price and Tyrell is involved in that. and You just have to keep Tyrell in your apartment for however long. Could that offer have gone out to Scott Knowles, which would be improbable to see how he would play along with that given what Tyrell did to Sharon Knowles. I don't know. Possibilities are endless, which is why whenever the truth is revealed, whenever the truth is out there, it's going to be really fun to see what version, you know, to put this questioning down once and for all and really get some answers on what's going on with Tyrell is going to be great. But this opened the mystery up in a really cool way this week. I'm really excited about it.
1: Yeah. That, uh, that it's, it should be something that we do get a payoff on pretty quickly because we don't see Mr. Sutherland after this scene. Elliot seems to part ways with him, which is interesting to me.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it seems like Mr. Sutherland is on his way to 92nd East, 82nd Street, a.k.a. on his way to some sort of horrible death.
1: Right. <laughs> and Elliot The is, monsters
0: are calling from inside, and he's just going to be eviscerated.
1: Elliot is asking, is it him? As we see that, kind of the next thing we see is the feds busting into Cisco's place and DDP just rolling right in there. So it isn't something where we're meant to think that Cisco's place is where the phone is. Certainly, it seems like Cisco's place is a little bit more of a dump compared to what that place at that address would be like but that said uh, there is that juxtaposition there we don't see mr sutherland the rest of the episode so he's on his way to something i think we'll see it next episode hopefully
0: i like this scene where ddp raids cisco's apartment there's a cool easter egg here there is a badge for cisco that ddp finds that seemingly gives us his real name what is cisco's real name antonio and why is it significant
1: his real name is francis shaw right
0: Yes, that's correct. And
1: that's significant because Frankie Shaw is somebody that we know, Josh.
0: Frankie Shaw being the name of the actress who played Shayla in season one—that is correct. So, nice little,
1: nice little Easter egg. Yeah, nice little Easter egg.
0: Frankie Shaw, aka Cisco, R.I.P. Crisco we hardly knew ye. Uh, maybe this is just further, you know, an Easter egg that's supposed to get you further on track. That Cisco is no longer with us, as Frankie Shaw is also no longer on Mister Robot.
1: That's really it, m- much more than the Cisco truck that we saw a couple episodes. Yeah, yeah. this is a nice little shout out, nice little tribute. It's it's nice to see Shayla showing up in the name in a show in name form. I think it's a nice little Easter egg. You're right
0: nice little touch. That's really good. Uh, Certainly, the bolo on Cisco is out there. News of Cisco is going to be out there on television to the point that the person at the hospital is going to call the authorities after seeing the sketch of Cisco. Cisco and Darlene, who had previously been at the hospital, they leave before any of this happens. The TV hasn't been changed to the news because the nurse who likes the news hasn't come on shift yet. Her shift hasn't started. I thought that was really good. But obviously, Cisco and Darlene are nearby, close enough. They're having some dinner, uh, but enough time for Dom and her colleagues to get to the hospital and look around and find nothing, and Dom to start wondering, is there something more going on here?
1: Yeah, and her boss doesn't care at all. He says, ah, they saw that be on the lookout. They're never going to come back. And as we talked earlier, DDP, you said you love this moment. She puts it together. She sees the the doctor and the nurses, people kind of wandering around, and realizes that the TV is right there next to the station. As soon as that be on the lookout was put out to the news, they probably would have called as soon as the guy walked in. Why did you wait so long to call? We didn't see the be on the lookout until a few minutes ago. That's when she realizes they didn't see it. They left or earlier, and they'll probably be back, and that's when she runs out of the hospital to look into where they might be. Uh, it's interesting, these characters like DDP putting these things together. As we were talking about Chief Keefe, Mr. Sutherland, he tells Elliot, uh, this isn't that there's trust me, uh, he wouldn't be calling from that house. And so we see characters putting these things together. They know details that Elliot or other people that they're around don't necessarily all put together. DDP is doing this on her own putting these things together she doesn't tell Santiago where she's going she just kind of runs outside and then when she runs outside she ultimately does track them down at the diner which we'll get to in the final scene of the episode but Elliot goes off on his own he lets Mr. X deal with that problem just whatever he wants to do Mr. Sutherland's gonna do it but Elliot's gonna go meet Angela she's been messaging him throughout this episode again another Easter egg she's been using the name Claudia Kincaid which from season one was a writer she said she always admired Uh, she's messaging Elliot like we have to meet we have to meet we have to meet so finally they meet on a subway train
0: they finally meet on a subway and Angela still reeling from DDP, coming and paying her a visit with euros in hand uh, and a peace offering in hand as well. Turn yourself in now. Once you stop fighting it, that's when you're going to feel relief. Uh, it seems like Angela is ready to take that advice. She's going to meet with her lawyer. She is going to confess to her role in everything. She is not going to sell F Society down the river. She would never do that to Elliot. She wouldn't do that to Darlene, but she is going to do it for herself and she warrants Elliot that this is going to catch up to you, uh, you know. Eventually, this is going to catch up to you. And Elliot is really blown away by all of this and magic being done by Mac Quayle, the composer of the series, throughout this final sequence. So good, which is, you know, it's the it's the Darlene DDP Cisco scene that is intercut with this Elliot and Angela scene with Mac Quayle's score just soaring in the background. This electric synth score that really takes this sharp turn the moment that Angela says, "Why did you start F Society?" It just rises and the camera stays on Elliot as that moment just like lifts to his consciousness, the full gravity of what Angela is saying by openly talking about this for the very first time. She brings up some other heavy stuff like, hey, remember that time when we were at the Queens Museum and you yelled at security because they couldn't see who you were talking to? And we've never seen that before. We certainly know that Elliot and Angela used that place as a mutual meeting spot in the past, but we haven't seen any scene of them at the museum with Elliot screaming at security guards because they couldn't see his imaginary friend, and for what it's worth, Elliot has no recollection of this either. So just speaking to the severity of the illusions and the delusions that he's been going through.
1: I think the key moment in that scene is that Angela asks, was that Mr. Robot or was that someone else? Right. Elliot doesn't remember, but does that... Stoke the fires of the possibility of Elliot having more manifestations other
0: than Mr. Robot. Certainly not impossible that, like, when he was younger, he had, like, a benevolent friend. Like, you know, he had, like, uh, I don't know, like, a Gerard Depardieu instead of a Christian Slater angry guy who was hanging around with him.
1: (laughs) He's a great dad, Gerard Depardieu. I've seen that in movies before.
0: Yes, indeed. So that's not impossible. Yeah. Uh, I I don't know. I didn't read too much into that. I thought, for me, the the biggest moment of gravity is just Angela being, like, Like, you can't work with him. You can't listen to him. You can't think that doing what he wants you to do is going to be good. Don't trick yourself into thinking that you can work with Mr. Robot. You know, without saying Mr. Robot by name, but basically saying this other piece of you. Don't listen to it. Uh, just as Elliot is starting to become suspicious again of Mr. Robot for the first time in a long time, the person that he you know, arguably trusts the most in his life, the person who physical contact comes easiest to with this person, has hugged her in the past, is going to initiate a hug here. Really rare moment for Elliot. It's going to initiate a kiss here. Very rare for Elliot. This person that he trusts and has known for. Ever. Uh, a child, a long-time childhood friend, someone he has had this huge crush on, if not deeper feelings for, forever, for the longest time, is saying, don't trust that side of yourself. That's a very heavy indictment against Mr. Robot.
1: Completely. And something that it's not just an indictment it's it's as you're saying it's the person that is saying it and it's the value that Elliot assigns that person season one was very much a struggle of Elliot's night job and Elliot's day job and Elliot's day job being something that he was doing as a favor to Angela more than anything she did a favor and got him the job there and then he was trying to play it straight with her as a favor but he very quickly starts lying to her and keeping things from her and I don't think he ever felt really good about that and you have to ask yourself was part of his plan always to get a job there and take advantage of angela's connection to get a job at Allsafe, so that he could take down e corp we already saw him talking about that a little bit in the halloween episode flashback where he says i'm i'm adrift i don't have a job angela's going to try to hook me up with e corp Uh, that's what i'm going to do and then he starts talking about the hack not two minutes later so the question is ultimately whether it was always his goal to take advantage of Angela's connection or not but but Angela has always been central to Elliot's story she's gotten moved aside from Elliot's view in this season in part because Elliot was in jail and in part because Elliot's been dealing with much bigger problems but Angela's been out there adrift she says hey buddy an FBI agent came to my place we have to talk to each other on subway trains now like this is the level of where our relationship
0: has gone we're a long way from back to the future too that's
1: exactly right like this is the darkest timeline this is hill valley 1985 with biff tan and donald trump as mayor so like this is bad stuff that's going down and and she's in a much different place she's been actualized she's done all of these things i really love when she keeps it real with him and she says like listen buddy we can't fix this i have tried we can't beat them no matter what we do we will always lose i'm just going to tell them that i planted the fem to sell i'm going to own it personally I won't rat you guys out, but I've tried to take these people down and we can't. And what I found fascinating about that scene is when I look at Elliot, I think of a person who maybe has ulterior motives that are a little bit darker than what we know. Keep in mind, this is the guy who came up with whatever it is, phase two. Like this is Elliot is the one who came up with it. So if Elliot came up with phase two and if as Mr. Robot, he's done some dark shit in the past, then maybe Elliot's goals aren't what Angela's are and maybe they're a lot darker than what would Angela would imagine and she's asking herself the same questions about Elliot that's the first thing she asks him why did you start F society as you said I think some people are reading that like was she wearing a wire was she trying to get information on Elliot
0: well you're talking about the audio significance like the significance of audio so I understand why people would think that
1: yeah and it's the kind of thing where Ollie did a very similar thing to Angela right he asked her a very brusque forward question in the and it, and it rubbed Angelo the wrong way. She immediately realized that, uh, that Ollie, idiot, was recording her on his cell phone. But this is a very similar thing that she's doing here. I just like that she knows that Elliot maybe has a dark passenger, and her solution to this is to tell Elliot, listen, don't work with Mr. Robot. Don't trust him. Don't do these things. But Lord knows what has already been done in the name of that relationship or in Mr. Robot getting to be totally in control. Lord knows what die has already been cast in that regard. It may be too late for Angela uh, to back Elliot down.
0: Yeah, no, it probably is. Otherwise, we're not going to have more show. Right. <laughs> so, so you know, the, the struggle must remain real for a little while, at least. Uh, but it's a, it's a great moment between them. I don't think that she's wearing a wire, do you?
1: No, I don't think so.
0: I feel I like, I, I mean, who knows? Because Angela's been so unpredictable this season. Like, I guess it's not out of the realm of possibility that she would sell Elliot down the river. But he feels like the last... Uh, the last bridge that she'd really be willing to burn. Uh, that feels like a bridge too far. The one okay. thing that
1: does concern me a little bit, that is, uh, that is maybe in, in the background of this scene, is when, when it's all said and done, after Elliot initiates the hug, as you say, after Elliot initiates the kiss, as you say, when they part ways, Angela's left in the train car by herself. Two strange people roll up and look at her, and she's confronted by them, and we don't see what happens after that. I thought DDP told Angela that they've had a tail on her
0: for months. They did tell her. She did tell her. And is
1: the assumption that Angela just shook the tail to get on the train car?
0: Or is this the tale?
1: And if that's the tale, do they not know that Angela's been meeting with Elliot? Wouldn't the tale have also followed Angela to prison and seen who Angela signed in to talk to when she went to visit Elliot about planning the femme to sell? Like, aren't there obvious connections between Angela and Elliot? What I'm saying ultimately is we haven't heard DDP talk about Elliot. We just haven't heard it. We haven't heard about the FBI having their hooks or interest in Elliot at all. When President Obama's on TV, he mentions Tyrell Wellick as a person of interest. We've never heard Elliot's name, and yet there's no way that he's not on their radar. A person who was being tailed by them went to visit him in prison. A person who's being tailed by them went to meet him on a subway car. They're drawing lines around people that are associated with him. He worked at Evil Corp. Hell, I'm sure Ali might have said his name. At some point. Uh, if he didn't, they still know that he worked there. They know what Gideon Goddard probably said about Elliot. And yet they have not done anything with Elliot. And that is fascinating to me. When we talked about the slow play strategy that the feds are saying that they were doing, I don't understand why we haven't seen what the feds are doing about Elliot. Why is somebody so good like DDP not somebody that's going to drop the hammer on Elliot? And I can only feel like something big is coming. Like we're going to pull the curtain back and see that they've been on Elliot a long time or that they have a belief about him or they know more about him than we do as an audience that's going to change the way we see Elliot. That's how I feel. I don't think you can continue to have Elliot just out there talking to people who are known FBI-tailed people and not have that be a possibility.
0: Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Nothing else to add because I'm totally on board with that. Yeah,
1: so I'm looking forward to seeing how that all plays out because I think we are going to pull the curtain back and see that the FBI has a much bigger profile in Elliot than we realize.
0: If not the FBI, DDP. Like, DDP at least has to have Elliot in her sights in some regard. I
1: mean, Gideon told Elliot, listen, I'm giving you a chance here, but they're really pushing me. I'm going to go tell them about you. I'm going to go tell them about what was going on, that I had my suspicions about you. The next time we see Gideon... he is in an office at the FBI where DDP is going to talk to him. So you have to assume that the Gideon probably spilled the beans. And so DDP has to be on to
0: Elliot. Have you to. would think so. Has you would to. think so. So we'll see if that manifests in the finale. Uh, that's definitely something to be thinking about for sure. What do you think of just the moment of intimacy between Elliot and Angela? This is obviously a long time in the making. Elliot has been head over heels over Angela actively and passively from the very moment that we've met him, dating back from their, you know, their childhood and everything. Elliot makes the move to hug her. Elliot makes the move to kiss her. It's a tender moment. It's a sad moment. It's an anxious moment. It is, really really heavy uh what did, what did you think of all of that
1: it is really heavy right like everything that's going on there. is that a
0: goodbye kiss is that a see you later i or, wondered or, is this the yeah. last time they're going to see each other
1: i did yeah. wonder that uh i don't know angela said she was going to her lawyer we can only assume that's the lawyer she's been working with on the washington township stuff uh and she's going to confess but then these other people roll up elliot goes in their separate directions you do wonder if that's the last time they're going to see each other.
0: Yeah, I hope not. I hope not, but it is not impossible. And who knows, it seems like Angela and her tail uh, have finally met. Uh, she's finally caught up to her tail. TBD on that. Let's shift to the other side of this scene. And really, just to close it out, is DDP finding Cisco and Darlene at a nearby restaurant. Cisco and Darlene are up to that moment. Having a pretty nice night out. You know, their friend will hopefully have an up update on their friend in about an hour uh they are not sharing formally they're not sharing their meal but cisco is kind of encroaching upon her territory there is a great moment where darlene says you're such an a-hole and it's like the closest thing to a happy moment between these two that we've ever really seen so perfect time for both of these guys to just like eat a mouthful of bullets.
1: 100 that's a hundo that's exactly what i thought like that little tender moment ensured that one or both of them is about to die
0: so the scene is fantastic I think it speaks for itself. You know, it's this long lingering shot that lasts a few minutes outside of the restaurant. Uh, DDP runs up. She sees across the way, clearly can see that the guy in the hat is there. She makes a call, gets the FBI to send backup, to send uh, police, send cars over to this location. She hurries across the street, goes inside, is having a conversation with Cisco and Darlene that we are not privy to. A motorcycle pulls up. There are two riders. There's the person driving the motorcycle and somebody who hops off, walks across the street. As the don't walk sign is counting down, uh, this person is walking in perfect synchronized step with the countdown. Gets to one, gets to zero. Open fire, blasting, spraying bullets all over the place into the diner. He hits, he gets hit back with Dom with gunfire. He sho- he shoots himself in the back, and he shoots himself through the head as the police roll up. Dom comes out, she's covered in blood. We have no idea what has happened to Cisco and Darlene or anyone else inside. And that's a great choice on the show's part to leave us without that half of the information. Gotta imagine we see what's happening in the restaurant as soon as next week.
1: I think so. And I, as I said, I want to see that conversation from the flip side we don't we see a wordless convo inside with DDP and Cisco and Angela as you said I want to see the inside I want to see that conversation from the inside I think that will be a good way of showing us who lives and dies uh, I think we're going to see Cisco get greased shot in the head I don't know if Darlene is going to get shot or not it's hard to tell from the final moments of that I think it's safe to say Cisco probably did get shot it looked like there was blood spatter and his head and everything I don't know if Darlene got it or not but I think I think if we see that scene from the flip side, we're going to get a lot more information there. And I want to hear that conversation. Josh, you, I think, you have a pet theory here that we've talked a little bit about on this podcast. If DDP walks into that restaurant and she sees Darlene sitting there, is she going to have any reaction at all?
0: it's a great shoe to drop in the finale you know we're up to the finale now yes a finale spread across two weeks but technically the finale and for that reveal that ddp and darlene have some shared history to come in the final episode of season two feels like a great time to drop a big bombshell like that um it, i think that it's there's a lot of masters that are being served by not showing us the interior of the restaurant throughout the scene first of all it's just freaking really cool to present it the way that it was presented it was a really one of one of the great moments of the many, many, many super great moments throughout Mr. Robot, a really, really powerhouse ending to this episode. So just on one level, it works. But another level that it would work is if the information exchanged between DDP and Darlene indicates to us a shared history between them, that's going to be a big moment. And that's going to fuel either both of the characters moving forward or potentially only DDP if Darlene is dead. Um, So I think that 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 is definitely an area that I am leaning toward. I think that there is some shared history between DDP and uh, and Darlene. Whether or not that's because they were D D D D P, uh, because they were you know about to be married once upon a time, or something else. But I think with the New Jersey connection, um, some of the other lines that DDP has said on the show so far. Uh, I, I, it just feels like it's stitching together for me. I, I, you know, we'll certainly find out one way or the other next week because Dom is either going to react to a very dead Darlene. We are going to see that conversation that took place before the shooting, or Darlene is alive and some sort of questioning is going to happen, and we will see a scene with DDP and Darlene. They've caught up to each other at the very least, so this will be confirmed or debunked next week. But I'm still of the mind that there is connection between these two characters.
1: I and I think that the the main thing that you've talked about, and I'm not sure if it was on air, or off air. Darlene had that incident with Cisco where he proposed marriage to her and she thought it was anathema like it was just this thing that she wanted absolutely no part of and that maybe is relevant because later, earlier in some different period in her life she did the same thing uh, with DDP and it went wrong and that's why she's against it now so I think that there is that possibility there that's very strong as you're saying and some of DDP's lines as well we also have the geographic connection even if she didn't know even if that Darlene wasn't the 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 Paramore, the ex paramour or the ex lover if you will it's possible that they knew each other from their childhood because it's we still have talked about the wilpon geography of it all josh and everything that <laughs> happened
0: in new jersey wilpon township
1: yes whether whether ddp was from wilpon township or not uh which or which wilpon township it was and shout out to county. house
0: wilpon we're a big fan
1: yeah you know gloucester county and all these different places or, or gloucester city or all these different things that that we've talked about at length on this podcast they they could be heading to somewhere uh, with DDP having a connection to Darlene. And that would have been something that was exposed in that quick conversation. DDP is so good in those moments where she's confronting somebody, where she knows something about them, whether it's telling Angela, like, look, Ollie Parker told me about the CD the first time we walked in. And so it's not a big deal. Uh, The first time we met him, like he knows, like I know about you. She she breaks news pretty brusquely to people. Uh, She's done the same thing to Mobley and others. So I would love to see what she says to Darlene and Cisco when she walks in. Uh, But it, it all blows up. It all goes very south very quickly in an awesome way. And we don't see the aftermath of that. You're right. Next week will be a great time to do that.
0: So here's the part where I feel like I want to I wanna issue a warning. I want to issue a warning. Like, if you didn't want to know about, like, the prison theory early on and that completely transformed how you were viewing the subsequent episodes, uh, then maybe skip ahead, like, three minutes right now. But if you watch the scene again, Antonio, and you you study the whole thing. I've watched it, you know, I've watched the episode three times now, and I've watched that scene a bunch. There are condiments by the window uh, where where Darlene and Cisco are sitting there is certainly a ketchup bottle and there's absolutely a mustard bottle and when the bullets start flying obviously there are blood clouds or red clouds mist you know red mist is erupting but there's also yellow mist erupting you abs- and maybe Cisco's peeing himself and it's just like great you know great distance on Cisco's part Or the mustard is getting shot, and maybe some of that blood spatter we're seeing as well is ketchup, possibly. Uh, I would be surprised if we see the flip side of the scene and we're not seeing a butt-ton of condiments getting destroyed. So this really awful, chaotic situation we're looking at where we think it's a slam-dunk thing that Darlene and Cisco are dead— Maybe they're just covered in ketchup and mustard. It's honestly a possibility.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, I guess you're telling you told people to skip ahead because this was prison theory level. Uh, you're now breaking <laughs> you're breaking the story of the condiment uh, the condiment conspiracy. The
0: condiment conspiracy yes. is out there. Yeah, uh, I'm sure I the truth is out there. I don't know. I I, th- I mean, you absolutely can go back and you can see a spray of yellow. You can see what looks to be like a blood splatter, except yellow, and that would be the mustard exploding.
1: Okay. All right. I'm buying, I'm, I'm, I'm tracking your mustard, your mustard love. This is my, a, must,
0: my mustard gas is out there. And then maybe when Dom is emerging from the restaurant, that's not blood she's covered in. That's just like ketchup or barbecue sauce or something.
1: Could be, some, could be delicious. If she starts licking it off herself, we'll know for sure.
0: I would guess that Cisco is dead. I would I bet Cisco that Cisco is
1: definitely dead.
0: I would bet that Darlene is not dead, but that also just feels so obvious. So, you know, who knows what sort of left turn is coming? Uh, who knows what sort of condiment death is on its way? But either way, super hardcore way to end that episode. What a cliffhanger to leave us on as we're moving forward into the finale.
1: How many end-of-episode cliffhanger shootouts does DDP need to be involved in one season, Josh?
0: I know, it's a lot. It really is. It's just so much much and also again with the history erasing you know shooting themselves in the head it's a really it's a power move from these dark army guys
1: she Grace Gummer the actress at some point I remember this this summer was on a late show like promoting her Mr. Robot role and she had a concussion like recently right before that and she was like oh yeah I was doing a stunt for the show and it's like what so I have a feeling like it's something related to this scene and this is uh, this is crazy this Grace Gummer could be it could have the concussion could have been from the, the China shootout As well but uh, she listen she's A field agent in the FBI she's gonna get into Some shit but man it really seems to be finding her
0: it really does it's uh it's been a very adventurous ride speaking for of
1: speaking of things to be fu- or, uh, things that are finding her and adventurous rides you talked about the two people that rode up on the motorcycle is your read on that that santiago has someone from the dark army following her or white rose has someone from the dark army following her or is it a femme to sell thing did they hear her call for backup at that location and immediately send someone there
0: both possibilities on the board, as you outlined earlier, I think. I think that you could read it in both ways. And maybe there's a third possibility that we're not thinking about, and that's the actual right answer. But femtocell is a strong suspicion. And you know me. I'm always on mole Patrol. That's so what I was saying. Sus-
1: I was asking what you think. You, I, I, think, it was My all, hun- I think it was the femtocell.
0: My hunch is that it's Santiago. So uh, we're, of, we're of two minds, but I could see it being the other thing very easily. As I like
1: well. it. We're of two minds. Which one of us is Mr. Robot?
0: You can be Mr. Robot. Yes. Be- before before we black out of here for a week, uh, there's something that's been happening on the show that I don't feel like we gave any real due attention to last week that recurred this week. Uh, the brownouts, the the, sh- the the world of Mr. Robot, the power is shorting out. The guy on the television says F Society, they're after your power, uh, they're after your things, all that. And we are seeing actual brownouts occurring on the streets lights flickering on and off is this just a sign of the times is this just an electric company not able to get its crap together in a post five nine world Antonio or something going on with these lights that is indicating stage two are these are these blackouts going to be a prominent feature of the finale
1: I think stage two I do I think it's related to that and I it's what's funny is that the the guy you're talking about that was on the TV we've seen him in the background of a couple of other scenes and it's the guy the let's be frank guy Guy who seems to be the one that's a conspiracy theorist talking about crisis actors? Whatever, I think the stuff with Philip Price is telling us that you know those conspiracy theories sometimes they're true. Like sometimes there is a smoke-filled room. Elliot's voiceover, which was repeated from the first season, which we heard in this season, Darlene reading to Mobley and Tretton, which is what I'm about to tell you is top secret. There, the you know there's a secret group of people running the world, the top one percent of the top one percent. Sounds like a paranoid conspiracy theory. Reads that way when we're talking about Elliot's paranoia but I think what we see with Philip Price and White Rose is kind of true and so if the conspiracy theories are that we're generally discarding as nutcases theories are kind of true then this this weird dude the let's be frank guy who has been a motif throughout the season maybe spitting the truth a little bit and maybe he's right that the brownouts are actually part of some larger plan to take over something that the power is going to go out and then the only people they're going to have power or be able to bring it back up are these people that will then be in control of the grid a lot of times when conspiracy theories are out there they are concerned about the power grid because we're all relying on it we all do it josh i think there was a tv show called the strain where blocking the power grid was very important
0: I have no response to that. <laughs> but you see, know, you know what my response is, and I'm not even going to. say Your
1: response uh, rhymes with uh, pig hoy. Uh, yeah, but yeah, Brugoy. Yes, but but th- this is a thing. Like this is a conspiracy theory, but it's a conspiracy theory that on a show where conspiracy theories are turning out to be true, and I could easily see that being the case. If I had to plant a flag and guess, I would say that that is what's going on, and it's one of those hidden in plain sight things. When we go back and listen to Let's Be Frank, he sounds like a crazy. Ram- Cable news guy in the moment, but it's probably that his rants are actually a little bit true. Uh, he was the one ranting about the cryptocurrency and the e coin. Elliot's saying the same thing when he sees the e coin in this episode, and I think we've agreed yeah, that does seem to be part of the plan. So I don't exactly know what. The power going out is you know, why that's needed for part of the plan, but I do think that that's going to be a greater thing. I love that shot of DDP running across the street, and the whole street was blacking in and out. That was gorgeous, and I think it is a thing that is going to, to play a key part in what's going forward.
0: I'm sorry, I didn't pay attention to any of that. I was just thinking about how it's the 50th anniversary of Star Trek today, and I should have said McCoy when I was trying to run something with (laughs) Strigoi.
1: Me too, me too. Damn it, Josh, I'm a podcaster, not a doctor. (laughs)
0: McCoy! All right. uh, well, here we go. We are verging on, like, we're, you know, about 20 minutes shy of three hours here on this podcast, and I think that's incredible considering this was the shortest episode of Season 2 of Mr. Robot by far, but just speaks to how much is loaded into the show right now with only a few hours left only i think probably like unless the finale like the final week of the finale is like seven hours long
1: what's really
0: crazy you know about we've got it, like two and a half hours left of show probably yeah
1: what's really crazy about it is we didn't even get into everything like the sign the neon sign you watch that that's three times the the lupe sign looks like it right. says lies after it gets shot up uh, power lies yeah we have blue bear power lines we had blue bear email in about that and ask us if that's does that mean the final scene is a lie maybe that's confirmation of your condiment's conspiracy josh Uh, so that's part of it um we had other people we we emailing in and asking questions Uh, we we just had a lot that that people were touching on we didn't touch on the fact that the fbi raided cisco's apartment which by the way has all the vhs tapes of f society that's gonna be a bad bad thing for sure right
0: yeah i mean it's caught up to her darlene is in trouble you know if she's not dead she is caught so you know she's caught red-handed or ketchup-handed potentially hopefully not blood-handed
1: hopefully not blood-handed and hopefully we we have at least one of the two of them alive so that we can get some something out of it if they're both just dead that would be crazy i don't think darlene is gone we did get some great moments from her in this episode caleb from atlanta wanted to know you know who we thought might be dead we've talked a lot about that so i don't know 100 percent what's going on colin stone also asked us to reset the map that's in price's office that's the map of world war one powers that were in play and Price is talking about redrawing the map. That is a humorous look at it with caricatures for each of the parties that were in play. But World War One was famous for happening because all of these crazy treaties had been signed, uh and Otto von Bismarck was a huge player in that. Then when he died, nobody was capable of keeping the alliances up. And that map is really meant to represent that. And I think it's there in Philip Price's office because he loves thinking of himself as a similar power player as we heard in this episode redrawing lines around the world and would very much be at home leading the Ottoman Empire or something like that at the time. And like I'm saying, those are crazy historic people that we point to like, wow, that person was a megalomaniac or that person was really insane or dangerous. And that's who Philip Price squares himself with. That's the Gavrilo Princip where he's talking about taking and placing one shot and changing the world. That's what started World War One. So Philip Price is very focused on all these things that were that happened in history to start people in motion the map is very much a, a talisman of that or a representation of that for him and yeah it's very conveniently placed behind him as he's delivering this monologue about the sorts of things that happened in world war one so i'm very scared of philip price very
0: Josh. scared of philip price feels uh feels like a good time to leave we, t- we started with philip price let's exit with philip price unless you've got anything else to talk about from this week in mr robot
1: No, just hopefully next week rains chaos. Rains
0: chaos. It's going to rain chaos all over the place. All right, two-part finale is coming up, spread across the next two weeks. Only two weeks of Mr. Robot left. Hashtag time. What do you want to go with? Chief Keef was in there. We had Crisco in there. I like a condiments conspiracy. That's good too. So any one of those will do. Tweet that our way. Antonio is at AC Mazzaro, two Zs, one R. I'm at Round Howard. Subscribe to what we're doing. Postshowrecaps.com show recaps.com slash Mr. Robot iTunes. MR Robot iTunes. Leave us your ratings. Leave us your reviews. Hope that you guys are enjoying this ride as much as we are. I'm having a crazy time. This is so much fun. Mr. Robot. Coming close to an end. Really, really soon.
1: Very soon. And too soon for my liking, but I have a feeling it won't be the end of our mr robot podcast we'll have a lot of uh, loose ends to tie up hopefully we can uh-
0: loose seals as well
1: <laughs> loose seal you got to be aware of those but yeah hopefully we'll be able to uh, to have some material to podcast about uh, after the show ends but yeah so far two more episodic podcasts left josh
0: i think that we will be covered all right guys thanks so much for listening as always take care goodbye